You are listening to An Awful Lot of Running, a Doctor Who podcast. Hi guys, uh, Future Jack here once again. Uh, I'm recording this very quickly just before the uh, episode. Just say massive thank you to Davis who uh, took over the editing on this one. He's done a phenomenal job. You've probably noticed that things sound a bit better than usual. Uh, don't get used to this quality, but uh, yeah, massive thank you to him, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Ta-ra! Hello, and welcome to An Awful Lot of Running Presents Battles in Fandom Halloween Edition. Uh, I'm Jack, your usual Prince of Darkness. I'm joined by three amazing panelists here. Uh, First of all, he has been planning to summon the Dark Forces using an Ouija board to terrorise his fellow combatants. It's only Ben, the vacuum of comments. Any smack talk for your competition? I will uh, save it for later, but um, please do bear in mind that any personal attacks I might hurl during this, any bits of bile that may spurt out of me, uh, I blame the wine entirely. Um, Also joining us is someone who is hoping to intimidate the competition so badly that he haunts their nightmares as if he's Freddy Krueger. It's William Tyson Carlyle. It's Mr. Tardis. Yes, and I brought reinforcements. You might not be able to see him, but I am holding up a very cute cat. He is, he's got his fists up, ready to do battle, to defend my honour. We're here to have a good spooky time. Lovely. And, oh no, I'll only book two guests. What am I going to do? I know, but I'm going to have to summon him in a very ancient way. I think I'm going to have to say his name three times in a row, spoken, unbroken. Davis. 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 
Hello, yeah, yeah. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. I'm a real upstanding guy. I'm a hardworking man. Uh, I love Thassies. I love Tharies. I hope we all have a good contest. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be completely honest, people. Sam Davis, he's been very nice. He stepped in at the last minute to uh, take on some answers for us. Uh, he was gonna judge this with me, but now he, uh, he's revoked those rights. So order, order. <gasps> so previously decided before we started playing uh ben you will be answering first with your question here round one what is the scariest tv dalek story so i think when we think of a scary dalek story we might be uh picturing something like how they were depicted in the russell t davies era where they were these uh mythic um very powerful things even one was a threat to the whole universe and there was a lot of emphasis on that uh, but in terms of sort of pure horror and sort of creeping tension uh there's very few examples because they might not always lean themselves towards that even though uh the very first dalek story was uh something like that i've decided to set myself a bit of a challenge and not uh declare my love once again for power of the daleks um but i've got a video uh, about that on my channel already where i i talk about scary stories for um doctor who so i'm gonna get that plug in right there i've set myself a challenge and i'm going to talk about asylum of the daleks now there are a lot of criticisms of asylum of daleks and i won't even necessarily disagree with them but I think I can uh, argue it in a way that makes quite a bit of sense. This is a unique opportunity because it is giving the director of the God Complex, Nick Curran, it's giving the Daleks over to him. And he really is the MVP of this episode. There are some delirious sequences in that Um the hallucinations uh, where Amy is confusing the darks for dancing people and she's so out of her mind. You've got uh, the skeleton uh, crew, which with the uh, eye stalks sort of bursting out of them. There's um, the sequence where Rory is coming across one and it's uh, a lovely blend of comedy and horror where he's trying to, he thinks he's referring, the Dalek is referring to eggs uh, when it's trying to get out, exterminate, and uh, the end reveal where uh, they reveal what's happened to Oswin uh, again. Um, uh, Nick Curran is the MVP, how it's shot. It is very reminiscent of uh, the praise him uh, sequences uh, of um, uh, the God Complex, it's uh, sort of that camera angle, that framing, and uh, Nick Briggs is also knocking it out of the park in terms of the broken, creaky voices he's given some of these Daleks and Coleman's voice uh, switching to his during the conversion sequence. It, it makes that moment play, and it's 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 a viscerally uh, upsetting sequence. So in terms of, I think, pure horror, I think Asylum is a pretty good call. Very well put. Lovely. Um, over to you, Will. Cool. Um, so the choice that I've gone for when it comes to 
the Daleks at their scariest, I think is simultaneously the story that is the Daleks at one of their most simple, and that is Terry Nation's The Daleks from 1963, their debut story. Because... If you, I think it works both looking back at the Daleks as this is their introduction to audiences, mm-hmm. uh, like 60 years removed from now, nearly 60 years removed from now. But it also works as basically episode five through to episode 12 or 13 of Doctor Who as it was, uh, with, like when it was the serialized, each episode goes into the next one uh, with the format where they've just escaped a bunch of uh, savage cavemen who they were unable to negotiate with, who they were unable to uh, work around and unable to beat through brute force. And then they go into the far future to an irradiated planet. And even though the threat is significantly more futuristic, even though the threat is way more sophisticated, it is still as equally brutal. It is still as equally simplistic, even if it doesn't wear the aesthetics of being simple. The Daleks, when they were created in the 1960s, were very for tv standards in the 60s quite complex visual creations but with very simple sometimes bordering on like elegant movements through the just inspired pepper pot design shape and i also think what i love about the daleks in their interpretation is not just how the doctor susan ian and barbara the doctor and the companions at the time are continually on the back foot they're in a hostile irradiated planet where they need to get the anti-radiation gloves drugs but they also are competing with a threat that uh will basically kill them at any opportunity but they're a they're a threat that are very disassociated emotionally to them at one point susan laughs she giggles and the daleks like stop that noise like these are hostile frightened little things horrifying things that we only get a very brief glimpse of at the end of part uh, three when the little claw, I think it's like a gorilla glove covered in Vaseline, but shush, it's scary, I promise, uh, comes out from under the blanket. And that's really the closest look that we get from them. For something uh, like, uh, let's say, Dalek from 2005, where it's Henry Van Staten's base, that is an, an environment that the Doctor and the supporting cast have some control over. But for something like the Daleks, where they're in the Dalek city, they control the city. And I also think, last point uh, for now, is that the the black and white cinematography is like simple and a bit cheap from Christopher Barry and Richard Martin. But I think it goes so far, like the black and white monochrome uh, environment and the atmosphere and the pulsating sound effect from the city itself. I think that even though the TV, uh, I think the 1965 movie with Peter Cushing. It's a great spectacle with great orchestration and music and great uh, like cinematic scope. I think uh, even though, yeah, in the movie, the Daleks are so close, you can feel their fire. I think actually bringing it more onto the smaller screen, the four by three, the black and white, it makes it feel a little bit more grounded and a bit more scary, in my opinion. Nothing? Yeah. Over to you, Sam. Okay. All thoughts and opinions expressed are not of my own. I need you to close your eyes and cast your mind back to a very specific memory. You can't, because this is my memory. This memory is of (laughs) Brighton 2005. You're in the Doctor Who exhibition. You've seen all the monster costumes. You're 10 years old. But then there's this big button that looks just like it came from the episode Dalek. From 2005, written by Rob Shearman. I'm sure we're all (laughs) pretty familiar with it. And then once you press this button... Metal bunker doors open with this loud, shrill effect. 
you find yourself down a military staircase, just these stone steps and loads of echoes everywhere. When the Dalek theme plays, and out of the stairwell rises a full-size scale Dalek screaming at the top of its voice at you. And just the fact that I've lived part of the episode Dalek is absolutely why I think it deserves <laughs> to win today. That would scare the <laughs> pants off of any kid and any adults. When you're faced with the modern revival image of a Dalek, it's overwhelming. They are scary. And that's what Robert Schumann gets down to a T. His entire goal with the episode Dalek is to destroy your Dar's jokes about Daleks, to restore them from being a pop culture joke. So every single beat, every single line of dialogue, every kill needs to be brutal and unforgiving and make you learn to be scared of Daleks again. Um, but just look at the whole episode. It's an episode populated with a vulnerable doctor who is terrifying in his own right. Not a nice environment to be in, even before the Dalek gets out. And when you have your doctor comfort blanket taken from you, when the rug is pulled out, that's when kids get really scared. The doctor in this is even more scary somehow, spitting across the screen and turning the most impressive deranged performance we've seen in the show. Oh no, my childhood hero who I've, you know, I've, in with him for five weeks, six weeks. He's a funny little man. Oh no, he's a genocidal monster. Leaves a kid really without moral compass. Uh, Owen Davis of Doctor Who TV uh, said that Daleks, after series one, this was 2006, Daleks lost their fear factor. That's been a complaint since series two. And it does kind of point you in the direction that Dalek nailed it so well right out the bat. It's a modern base under siege. So we'd never seen one of those in Revival, but it's so, it is so effective when bunker doors close and a Dalek goes upstairs. These all feel like transgressions. It all feels genuinely scary that the monster from your nightmare is coming at you and it is an unstoppable force that every character will not stop amping up. This is, it's going to destroy cities, Rose. It's going to, it's going to kill everything on your world. It's going to get you and you can't get away from it no matter what you try. It's a walking nightmare. But also, most importantly, I think you make Daleks scary by making them pitiable. There's funny moments and there's scary Dalek moments, and sometimes they're badass, but when a Dalek is, like, relatable, empathetic, this is one of the most complex villains we've had in the show, you really get the Dalek. That's what you get, the core concept of the Dalek, why they are scary, is because, oh, no, these aren't just sci-fi monsters, are they? No, no, there's a beating half real fucked up jubilee dna in here <laughs> and it's all the best parts of jubilee taken to tv and the fact that you as an audience are led to, to empathize with a mass genocide machine i think is really scary lovely very well put okay um for the first time tonight bite Rob right. Sherman said he doesn't like Dalek. I win. <laughs> Death of the author. Wow, I'm in. I'm in. I'm inciting Death of the author early this evening. Um, doesn't matter. And when he revisited the material, he made it even more scary and more intimate. And uh, you know? it, what does it say in the question? T TV uh, Dalek story, or, or am I, or am I going blind? I wasn't aware Robert Sherman was in the episode, the TV episode Dalek. So I don't really <laughs> care about his opinion. Ah. For the sake of this question, hey, Will, when I watched Daleks: The Dead Planet as an adult, it just strikes me as a cold and sad story. I don't get terror. There's terror in that cliffhanger, mm -hmm. but from there we get quite a range of like 
we get some happy Daleks, we get some curious Daleks, we get some uh, trickster Daleks. Mm. That conniving and sweet at times. Thoughts? Um, I wouldn't say sweet, but no, I, I, I absolutely agree that the Daleks are quite conniving. But I think it, if you think of um, just what is a scary story as uh, moments of strange imagery or, or just moments where there's jump scares or where there's something that could kill you around... Uh, uh, just around the next corner i'm more thinking just the prominent sense of unease and off kilter like sensation that you get just by being on that dead planet i think that everything from the petrified forest at the beginning this is something that it's a story that has an unknown almost unknowable history before it before they even get to the metal city which is by its nature from raymond cusick is quite alienating and quite uh like the corridors go on forever this is some way where you can get lost in and it's somewhere where you can't really control van staten's base the millennium stadium is a really cool location but it is somewhere where they can close the bulkhead doors i i get the sense that the dalek might actually struggle to get out of those doors if it is trapped on a lower level uh it's only because the doctor decides to let rose uh survive uh that the dalek is able to get to the top level Whereas I think they don't have any control over their environment in the Daleks. I hate pulling this card because you are the odd one out with a classic series entry. Um, we we have, me and Ben, we have hardcore horror environments. Whereas I love the description you gave. I'd watch a full video essay of that. In fact, I did once. What you're describing is like a slow burn German expressionist horror. And that's great. That is technically horror. That is pretty gothic. There are jagged shapes all over the place. I'm not completely scared by that <laughs> i would i would also posit the um yes the the daleks um is definitely somewhat unique in that i think it's quite withdrawn it, the daleks sort of slowly uh, come onto stage but i do think if there is something that takes away some of the uniqueness i think we are so familiar with terry nation's sort of style uh, and approach the dalek uh just feels a little bit less special as, as a result you know eventually you just you just kind of get tired of seeing the daleks being put into damn death um well in 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 the daleks i think it's uh them they're quite multifaceted but over the over the course of the serial you get the sense that they are losing control it's early on because they're monitoring the doctor and companions from their prison cell they've got a security camera on them and they say okay we'll let them sleep we'll give them food this will give them a false sense of security and then they'll be much more malleable to manipulate but then when they start escaping and they're able to uh and they want to try and get control over the situation and they test out their own radiation drug and you see that these are incredibly insecure uh, creatures that makes them way more wild and unpredictable while i love the methodical nature of the slaughter in dalek i also think that there is an argument to be made that an unpredictable uh opposition especially when you get this image of fascism in the 40s of goot stepping nazis of order of authority of power fascism is very rarely um internally a powerful organization it is often quite unhinged full of infighting full of insecurity built upon dogma and myth and i think that the daleks being less than two decades removed from world war ii from the nazis at time of broadcast i think that 
is one reason why they resonated so strongly in the 60s. It's a good point. It's a good point. I think it makes them effective. It makes them great metaphors, definitely. In terms of scary, in the Daleks, the Daleks are almost passive. They're observing themselves. They are analyzing. They are just as confused as our characters are. And we're, we spend a lot of time with them just figuring stuff out. That doesn't feel that ominous to me. Uh, I can understand them to a degree. For real fear, for real scare, I want something that's just beyond me. Um, and even with Asylum as well. They have, that's Daleks at their most scared and pitiful and vulnerable. Whereas mine, yeah, we've got a big vulnerable Dalek, but he's driving the plot. He's the main motivator. He's mm. coming for you. I would say Asylum, in terms of everything we've spoken so far, Asylum's kind of the best of both worlds, because on the one hand, um, you've got the Daleks uh, at their most powerful uh, with the Parliament. Um, it feels different because we know now that the Daleks aren't necessarily just going to get blown up at the end, by the end of it, or they're not just going to escape and uh, like teleport out. Like We're not just going to get one of them just teleporting out, and when they're not playing the last of their kind beats anymore. They're a horrible status quo. They're, they're part of the universe, and it kind of feels like the Doctor can't really defeat them. But you also have, in the Asylum, like Daleks on... Uh, the back foot they are unpredictable in this one they're behaving like we've never seen daleks behave before um so you've kind of got two different approaches of what the, could make the daleks scary and you've kind of got both of them playing at once but they don't uh contradict each other i feel and they don't clash the the parliament of the daleks while the doctor is worried about it and he pretty much tells amy and rory make them remember you i interpret that as yeah, we're going to probably die here, but make them make them feel it. Make them go out swinging. They, they've got the, the asylum to come out of control. They've made a mistake. Now they're getting the worst enemy to clean up their mess. And, and that's I think that's part of the framing. The fact that uh, is the Doctor truly vulnerable. He says this vulnerable line at the start, but the Daleks have called him because he's the Doctor. He's the Ultra Man who's going to save the day. And at the end, he does. He's mugs them off and he leaves so is the doctor ever really but he's to, also to the audience does but the daleks back, also but... this is actually the only one where the if you think about it the daleks win the parliament does win they get what they wanted i guess that with the beginning of asylum of the daleks i guess can't help but see flashbacks to scenes in like batman comics when commissioner gordon would like call batman to do a mission for him it doesn't seem like he they're really that sort of threatening in the first act of the story i yeah i, I, I personally setting aside my own personal issues with asylum of the daleks i think the only scary stuff there is actually in the asylum but even then it does sort of just feel like it's a bit of a grab bag of actual spooky stuff like oh let's have um skeletons coming to life oh let's have amy hallucinate oh let's have that uh, let, let's have all of this happen and rory slides under a door because the dialects can't shoot for shit um i think that, that it does feel like um <laughs> does will like uh, asylum with the dialects like oh, <laughs> it just feels like it's um it's it's a bit of a, a, a grab bag of spooky tropes rather than something co cohesive around the idea of a Dalek Asylum, which doesn't really feel that in character for them. Um, but I'll tell you what absolutely is in character, the Daleks being utter pricks in Terry Nation's The Daleks. One of my favorites. One of my favorites. We can wrap it up, right? <laughs> yeah, one of my I will say, what, uh, 
last point for me, at least, I think, uh, as, as we wind <laughs> down, is that uh, is the sense that these Daleks are ideologically absolutely immovable, whereas in um, Asylum of the Daleks, like, they start the story asking their greatest enemy for help, and uh, in Dalek as well, you get the sense that because the Dalek is mutating and changing, that it is able to be negotiated with. I, it, it wants freedom, um, and it is changing over the course of the story, whereas I think there is something quite scary in this Im immovable force of nature when they're uh, talking about their plan for the future of Scaro, they say, you know, if we need radiation, we can never rebuild the world outside. And the Dalek responds, we do not have to adapt to the environment. We will change the environment to suit us, which is the perfect encapsulation of fascism. You don't make the world uh, a cohesive place. You bend the world to your will in order to regain your sense of power. And at one point at the end, the doctor offers the Daleks, the TARDIS, you can have my ship and, you can you can you can not explode your bomb and they say okay once we've exploded the bomb we're going to use your ship to fly out of the city and the doctor's is absolutely aghast at this lack of reasoning of this morality he says he shouts this senseless evil killing which is one of i think a definitive moment for the first doctor so yeah, the Daleks are pretty scary. And, and Davis mentioned it earlier, the cliffhanger ending of part one, the sheer terror of the scream that is so good that Joe Ahern had to rip it off in Bad Wolf. <laughs> okay, well, I, I think the both of you are making great video essay points. I'm going to say it has all been very civil so far. It's been very, I feel like I've been, I've been learning a lot. I've been watching a TARDIS editorial or reading a Black Archive book. So you need to start getting dirty here. <laughs> all right. well, oh, it's oh, it's, it's only right. round one. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. Ah, fuck I'm, off, I'm, man. <laughs> <laughs> These are very pretty points, but I'm still not feeling any fear. In Asylum of the Daleks, the Doctor is a janitor. Um, that is literally the, the, the pitch of that story. Um, I, I look that's not scary? No, not really. And this one too many jokes about Matt Smith's chin. There's an oversense of twee. And you know I'd love me some Series 7A. The twee sets in quick and hard and is a total diffuser. Clara kills lots of tension for me and i actually look quite like her dialogue but whenever it cuts back to her and she is making souffles and talking about rory's pretty nose man i'm just i'm taken out and then as you say like will said it cuts back to some some random assorted dalek imagery this one's a ballerina okay he can't hurt me though can I'm, he i'm sorry the man who has brought a terry nation script to us is having a go at me for structure and pacing <laughs> oh there's nothing not scary than slow pacing my god that's galling <laughs> no i but it's true but it, it is true i admit when the daleks are not on screen the story itself does grind to a halt. They spend an episode and a half trying to get over a four-foot gap. But the question is, what's the scariest Dalek story? And if we're talking about the Daleks, then for me it is Terry Nation's The Daleks, at least in terms of just the baser elements that are absolutely excelling. There's a reason why Dalek in 2005 had uh, like wanted to rebuild the legacy of the Daleks for a new audience, for a new generation, because Terry Nation set the foundation so well. If he hadn't have done that, you wouldn't be getting 2005's um, The Quarks, written by Rob Sherman. Like, th there's a reason why the Daleks have done like, it. You know he could have done it. He could have done it, <laughs> but that's not the you know timeline. He's regretting we live in. The, 
he's not in that timeline now. Well, in your own words, you said that Dalek is the the core turning point of series one, where it becomes a different show, a scariest show. And that is done entirely by Nick Briggs, Murray Gold, Billy Piper and Chris Freckleston, because they sell the fear at every single step of that episode. And then they make you pity it with the fear after. With mm. zombies, there's Dalek zombies. I should be more scared by this. At no point am I thinking I'm watching that zombie over in that corner of the room. This doesn't happen at any point because the dialogue is so quick. and I challenge you to not find this bit where he goes into the intensive ward and the Daleks and he's backed into a corner screaming and begging while the plungers are coming for him. There is a sense of escalation. We, um, The doctor uh, ends up on his own by the end of it as things get worse, things get a little less bombastic, a little quieter before it hits you uh, with that reveal. And, and yeah. And it's, it's, I. It's subjective. Well, it's all subjective. Power! Well, power is quite scary. One, but nobody yeah. bought it. <laughs> it's true. Order. Order. I think I've heard enough now. Uh, it, you know, considering you're already. Uh, Ben, you're already counterthinking your point by trying to bring up a a, a superior story. It's that was a quip. Uh, <laughs> Surely we allow quips. It's, it's, I, I will, I'll, I'll allow quips. You know, um, <laughs> I will. I will say it's tough because, like I say, um, uh, you all made very good arguments. You know, very decent arguments. Uh, again, you know, uh, I know, I know, Sam used it as a bit, but it was very, you know, it was very wonderfully done, like a video essay, which I love them. You know. I enjoy I enjoy all of yours, which uh, you know, which you do at times on all your channels, which is great. But I need to break it down into uh, into things proper. Ben earned some good points, taking down well, you know, saying it's you know it's just Dan Dare. That's fair enough. Um, I like. Yeah, it was a low blow. As, as as well was where the you you Sam said that the Doctor's just a janitor in a, a sign of the Daleks. <sighs> Uh, but then of course will had a lot of takedown for dalek as well which is great and will liking it to his pick saying that actually you know there's there's more unpredictable nature about the daleks in his one and it's the it's it's not just the fear of them themselves it's the fear of the fascism that they represent that did a lot for me i'm not gonna lie hmm. this i feel I, I say it every time i do it is tough it's really tough but I think I am. I'm leaning towards Will for this one. I am. Because I just felt like he took down a lot of points more, what have you. I, I, let's face it, I knew he was going to come for Asylum. I think we all know your feelings on Asylum, Will. Uh, I will I will end on one thing about that. I say, you, know, you, you criticised it for a scene where Rory ducks under a door because Dalek's a bad aim. Are you saying that you know that there's plot armor in that episode (laughs) i was gonna interject when ben mentioned the scene in in, um in intensive care and then i was going to say yeah and then he's saved by clara the five foot plot armor (laughs) (laughs) i I did not that's good yeah no uh, i think it is very fair to say that will you're getting that very first point we've got our first point and you are on the board mister thank you the day I eviscerated Asylum of the Daleks was the worst day of your life. For me, it was Saturday. <laughs> but um, but, but it, it, it's, it's never easy to to cut, to fight back against Dalek. Because yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe. But I had to read what I was given. And I was like, oh, fuck. Dalek. 
Will's in this call. This is his dissertation, baby. <laughs> I've watched Dalek more than probably anyone on this planet, and I'd say that in not a good way. Now that the round is over, I can say what I actually think of Asylum, right? It's, uh, I, I did mainly pick that one because I could not pick Power again because I've already... I picked it for two questions last time. I'm doing videos uh, on it. I love it to death. I thought Asylum would at least be a good challenge. You'll notice yeah. none of us went for the direction of that episode because it is phenomenal, in my mm. opinion. But uh, yeah, Nick Horan is good at abstraction. Mm. You did, you did get points for it, Ben. You did, but uh, you know, we, again, we weren't talking about the god complex. So I, you know, as good as it was, we were talking about the dark episodes. You know, what and, did I get points for, baby? Know? What did I get points for? You didn't say me. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do good? <laughs> Before we move on, Ben, you mentioned Power of the Daleks. Say the line. I'm married to Power of the Daleks. Lovely. Round two. (laughs) Round two. I need to look up what this question is. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Best start. start. Uh, Question two. Uh, Which horror franchise would make the best crossover with Doctor Who? Now, this is very much based on uh, a question which we did in our first episode. And let's face it, who doesn't love a crossover? And we've got some great horror cross. Well, we've got some terrible cro- horror crossovers, actually, in terms of movies. I was about to say, good. And then I was like, oh, wait, Alien versus Predator. I can't say that's good. Uh, Freddy versus Jason. I can't say that's good either. So, yeah, we've got some pretty terrible ones, let's face it, in the world of movies. But what horror franchise would make the best crossover with Doctor Who? And this time I'm going to go to you, Will, uh, a man who knows horror very well. Cool. Thank you very much. So, um, when um, when I first looked at this question, I did what many horror fans do, and I thought, okay, let's look at all the fun franchises that I love. Okay, so Doctor Who meets Hellraiser, Doctor Who meets Friday the 13th, or Nightmare on Elm Street, and the Babadook or something. But then I thought, okay, let's actually be a little bit more realistic and pragmatic about this. There's no way that uh, Fr- Freddy Krueger is going to be appearing uh, in a completely unbutchered form in a Doctor Who story, whether it be expanded media or the TV show proper. We've got to go for something a little bit more family-friendly, but also something that's just as malleable to format, to genre, to tone and structure as Doctor Who is as well, because that's a show where you can go anywhere and do anything. So I gravitated to Goosebumps. Now this could be the TV series or the recent uh, film runs, which I actually think are really good, like quite underrated. One of the few good things that Sony has put out recently in the past few years. Um, TV series, the movies, uh, the books as well from R.L. Stein. And I think that there's a reason that there's like 60 to 70 of these original books from the 1990s that have stood the test of time and have been revisited so often. I think apart from um, I think from apart from Harry Potter, it's like the best-selling book franchise of all time. It has staying power. It has, uh, it, it is an incredibly popular one, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it will be good. But I think because these stories are able to really resonate in a way like, like Doctor Who has, because it's got these really fun, uh, these really fun creatures at the heart of it. Slappy the dummy, uh, who is the the ventriloquist dummy, and things that Doctor Who has done before, but in a different form, like the Yeti, Abominable Snowmen. Uh, you've got the giant praying mantis. You've got werewolves. These are just some of the ones that were done in the 2015 film starring Jack Black. Once again, I think it's actually a really good film. 
Um, and that film also did something where the books came to life, which meant it could do the best of it, could do the anthology. Um, it is kind of like a, a more modern Twilight Zone, and I love the Twilight Zone. I, I, I reference it so many times in my upcoming uh, December Hartnell Marathon, because that was just such a good comparison for the 60s. Um, but yeah, I think that Goosebumps is something that is able to genre hop and be just as malleable as Doctor Who, while still retaining a family-friendly core, keeping kids under or behind the sofa without having numerous off-com complaints. Brilliant. Absolutely scared me the shit out of me as a child watching it on CBBC. Uh, mm. I did the fact check as well. Uh, it is definitely one of the best-selling uh, book series of all time, so no one can bring that up as far against you, Will. Well done. Um, Sam, over to you. For this one, I'm bringing the Alien franchise to cross over with Doctor Who. Now, uh, the Xenomorph is no stranger to Doctor Who. It's appeared in the classic series, a facehugger even, uh, and it almost finds every excuse to work its way into the expanded media. Um, there is just a little, little, a little mini bro cannon. Um, Jack Harkness has run past a Xenomorph wearing a tuxedo suit. So I don't know if that gets me more points or I don't know how your metric works, but that'd be cool. Um, what, what really strikes me about the Alien series is it showed so early on that it's got variety and it will genre hop at will. Um, so it's equally as malleable, but at the same time, it's clearly runs parallel with Doctor Who and it always has. The era I would go most strongly with because, you know, Alien 1 is my favourite. It's it doesn't really work with Doctor Who. That's why we're not touching Alien 1. Aliens is where the franchise gets franchise properties. If you would cross over with Aliens, you would do it in this version of the franchise with a final girl who acts almost already like a Doctor Who companion. Space Marines, we've got these desolate dark surroundings that Doctor Who was doing itself in the 80s. I think specifically Eric Saywood would be the man for this project. I think he would absolutely adore throwing a xenomorph and all the dark capitalistic roots of the alien universe and put them on Peter Davison's shoulders. There's a great internet video uh, by Chris Walker Thompson, which is Doctor Who meets Alien Isolation. It is the visuals, the cold, scary visuals of Alien Isolation, but with the Capaldi voice. And I it's a dead ringer. It fits so perfectly. You might think, isn't the Xenomorph a bit too intense for kids? Well, that's why we've got plenty of expanded media. They've become a movie monster, very much from their early roots. And when you've got something that's an iconic movie monster with that fantastic design, you've entered Doctor Who's territory, which is just as open-ended as the Alien franchise. Over to you, Ben. So, um... My pick is Morbius. Fuck off. <laughs> Can I get mean yet? Can I get really mean now? Uh, I think the fight is already started. Not yet, not yet, not yet. Nope. Okay. Ben, go on. Okay. Let's be it's fair. Not it's, time, yeah. it's not Morbius. Oh, <laughs> it's not Morbius. Okay. So I did clear this with Jack, and I have been told that apparently... Uh, video game horror franchises are allowed. Uh, if it turns out not, if this is going to turn into another boxer's clause situation, <laughs> yourself up front. Uh, the question, and I'll, I'll let you finish. I'll, you know, I'll let you finish. The question is, which horror franchise? There is no specification whether it needs to be TV or film or video games. So you got a loophole. Well done. 
Right. London so Dungeons. Sorry. I'm going with Silent Hill. Now, I think uh, with most other horror franchises, um, which, for the record, I think uh, you you chaps have mostly avoided. You've gone for things that uh, seem quite malleable. Uh, most franchises, it would just be the Doctor versus Monster, and it would just turn into a who would win in a fight uh, thing, and it's always going to be the Doctor. So, the Doctor versus Freddy versus Jason versus Alien versus Predator. It's it, there's not really much of a story there. Whereas Silent Hill, well, it does have its iconic monsters. It has Pyramid Head. It's not just him. Uh, Silent Hill is a setting for the Doctor to land in and explore. And more to that, it's actually as matched to Doctor Who in how flexible its concept is, because Silent Hill 4 doesn't even take place in Silent Hill. Uh, it explores a completely original concept. Uh, so there's a lot of creative freedom and a lot of like potential for both franchises. And you might be thinking, well, if the concept is that flexible. Why do we need the name Silent Hill at all? Can the Doctor just tell a original concept for a, a horror? Um, well, I think the... Uh, to, to, Paraphrase Yahtzee Croshaw, the essence of Silent Hill is grim, cold, oppressive atmosphere of entrapment like being locked in a campsite lavatory late at night. And what makes it unique to Doctor Who is the it makes it a unique foil to the Doctor because the Doctor is defined by the power to escape from any story. The, the person who keeps running because they dare not look back. Uh, so uh, a setting that's all, a, a kind of story that's all about like entrapment and not being able to leave. It's a unique foil for uh, this character. And I think it would benefit like both franchises. One of the main issues with Sand Hill is it's always going to try and pull some kind of twist with the protagonist or reveal some kind of dark past. That's not really going to be the issue with the Doctor, because, well, we already kind of know everything about the character by this point, uh, but we're still attached to them. You don't need to kind of throw a twist onto them survival horror i think i am pitching a game to be specific for this uh, the doctor makes sense for a uh, as a protagonist for a type of game that's all about running away from the monsters uh, rather than uh, fighting them and using more, more of your wits rather than the brawn to survive and uh, yeah that's that's pretty much it that's that's me done okay fight I take issue with Ben oversimplifying our pitches to Predator versus Alien. Very, like, come on. That's that's a low no, blow no, as no, well. No. I said you both went for malleable concepts. Um, I pray. I, I yeah, was, but it's just, a, nice. it's just Doctor Who versus a monster. No, unfortunately. No, I'm, I said you both dodged that. Ben's in my shit list, actually. <laughs> alien <laughs> franchise. You've got aliens. And you could look at aliens as a big action monster movie. In some ways, it is. In other ways, it's a really angry film about the military complex and capitalism in general. But I think we could get a lot of shared blood with Doctor Who in Aliens 3. Not only do we have a couple Doctors uh, who have already battled Xenomorphs, Paul McGann, but David Warner. Does that not sound like a pitch where you get this weighty, heavy story of a post-apocalyptic world that can explore themes such as uh, motherhood, estrangement, perhaps not the rape bit, that's why we're staying away from the first one, but um, corporations have a good place in Doctor Who, so do space marines, and <laughs> so does a 
post-apocalyptic world that the Doctor could fix. That's my pitch, anyway. Does it not just sound great for an alien film where Doctor Who is thrown at Wayland Utari? The company itself. The alien world is too desolate for that. So a crossover wouldn't just be Alien versus Monster. It could be two franchises giving to one another. And I think, well, we've seen that Alien has so many references in the show that it clearly isn't, you know, too graphic to talk about. If Capaldi can name drop and joke about an Alien movie called Alien, you know, it's going to be okay with kids. And a lot of 80s stories go a lot closer to that mark. I just think when it comes to um, fun fan casts and fun crossovers, these conversations are fun and worth having. But I think when you talk about it logistically, when you have something like the alien, which is a uh, a creature that has acid for blood and also uh, for Silent Hill, where one of the main antagonists of it is like basically sexy, busty nurses to represent James Sunderland's libido. This isn't stuff I think is very age appropriate for Doctor Who, the TV series proper. Um, and I also think that Silent Hill um is a franchise that has really seen significantly better days i think you, you quoted a zero punctuation review and to quote his review of silent hill homecoming the whole game is trying so hard to be part of the big boys club you can hear the disc straining with the effort i think we don't <laughs> want doctor who to be trying to lift up another franchise we want them to be working in tandem with each other uh, and he also googled a- that I you googled that your honor i'll <laughs> 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 allow it think- I did remember, however, James Sunderland, which is to be fair, um, Doctor Who, um, even if we're not talking the main series, if we are just talking from uh, the games front, uh, I, I think it's kind of on a on the they're both on the same level. They both the only way to go <laughs> is up. And... Doctor Who as a program has seen better days, so let's not. <laughs> yeah, don't know, Will. Are you, why, are you... Why, why do you need Wayland Utani when you have the Kablam Man? Well, <laughs> because that, well, that episode was Kablam, Will. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, it's okay. For, for Wayland Utani, we have, you know, we have the Forge. Uh, we have mm. um, the Division. We have so many shadowy organizations and... You know, putting the the doctor, you know, against um, like organizations like this, I, I kind of think Wayland Yutani doesn't fully work as a villain because the more that we learn about them, the more convoluted it gets, and you just you kind of just Ooh. you can't really picture them just sort of functioning like a normal horrible corporation that you just kind of imagine a bunch of men in suits chucking children onto piles of burning money. I mean, I know that is the world. Every single uh, head or like board head, head of the board we've seen is already a comical pantomime Doctor Who villain. I don't get this. There's Wayland Utari merch. Like that logo is iconic. How has a film franchise made a bad guy, boring company logo uh, iconic and in the popular consciousness? Because they're not just a company. They are the corporate fucker company in all of fiction. I would love to see it dissembled, and I really do think the Eric Sayward era will would be the perfect place to do it. If Resurrection of the Daleks can do it, expanded uh, media would have been the perfect place and time to do this. So can I argue that the, the time has passed, whereas clearly Doctor Who's slumming it, Silent Hill's slumming it, we have Chris <laughs> Chibnall, you have Blooper Team, let's try and help each other. 
Well, I, 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 I'd actually argue that um, Davis's answer should be disqualifying because Alien Will and Yutani is already in the Doctor Who universe. No, There's, we're not uh, doing this again. Oh, no. No. Because oh, you've been no. trying this last time. It because in the episode, no. there's an episode of Red Dwarf line. where there's a TARDIS in the background, so they take place in the same universe. And Will and Yutani, they have a ship in Red Dwarf, meaning that they are already connected. Gonna need more than that, buddy. This is I'm talking franchise. You're gonna argue with Red Dwarf. Yeah, I'm arguing with Red Dwarf. <laughs> I'm arguing head. with. I'm arguing okay. with Canon as a concept. Will, Will, like, so like, let's uh, let's not criticize the Alien franchise on on grounds that they just do a crossover with everyone. Let's not cross over slut shame a franchise. We're classier <laughs> than this. This is this is battles <laughs> in fandom. My franchise has uh, six. Digits. Uh, my, my one actually brings in more quarterly revenue than your franchise does. So, <laughs> I, I, I actually <laughs> argue. We're arguing not. against corporations a second ago, and now you're going. Look, how do you actually? That's I, the I, magic I of James Cameron, baby. I don't. I'd actually be interested to crunch the numbers if Goosebumps or Aliens, which ones makes the more money? Oh yeah, not that, that you not argued that, Goosebumps. Yeah, I was going to say you two. Were, you two were just arguing amongst yourselves, whereas my idea was standing proud on top of the podium, because but, I think but, it's because. It is, it is so malleable that you'd be able like it, it is a great perfect fit even if you were to do a meta concept like the books come to life or if you were to you know have something fun where just one of the villains is just in one of the doctor who episodes the possibilities are endless whereas i think for something like alien basically the most horrifying thing about an alien doctor who crossover will be the fandom reaction as to where in the timeline it fits and i don't i'm not ready for those discussions i'm just not i'm sorry well, I kind of think Goosebumps, I mean, yeah, it's safe, it's possible, but like, I think arguing about like which one's the most logistically possible, I think that's kind of a, I mean, none of these are ever going to happen anyway, so kind of arguing about logistics, it's kind of a, a moot point, and I, I don't think I'm quite getting a sense from you guys on how these two franchises meeting are going to uh, benefit each other, whereas what I said it with uh, Silent Hill and Doctor Who. Silent Hill benefits from a uh, protagonist that could offer new story opportunities and Silent Hill as a story as a setting is a unique foil for the Doctor. Goosebumps specifically does feel very serialised. Not throwaway per se. I, that's the kind of Doctor Who I actually do like. But I'm not seeing how a crossover is like the is the deal breaker. Also, you can bring Are You Afraid of the Dark? Really? Uh, my uh, knowledge of Are You Afraid of the Dark does not span as far as Goosebumps, I'm afraid. I put that's, that's a personal failing, and I don't want that yes. to reflect my answer. Uh, you will um, be deducted, hopefully. I, I got a, I got a hey, 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 hey. No, you're not the judge here. You don't make that. I was promise. a judge an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> that so, title has been taken away from you, and you know that. <laughs> this is an hour. Hence, we fucking time traveled. <laughs> I, will, I will say about um, the, the three choices that we've got here, I, out of the three, personally, I do think that Silent Hill is the scariest, but that is because the horror is so specific to the protagonist of said game. Like, mm. you know, you know, Pyramid Head is the embodiment of uh, James Sunderland's insecurities and uh, his, uh, you know, his libido, once again, with all the sexy nurses and everything. Uh, whereas I think if you were to have that with, say, the Doctor, you would end up learning stuff about the character that maybe would box you into a corner narratively speaking i think once you 
have opened those corners like stuff like the dream lord is super interesting i love that and i kind of want them to expand on it but i also know that if they do it may be a point of no return for the character uh, you know some people were upset about the timeless child revelation and i think we'd get something similar to that with a silent hill expose because then we'd have more concrete answers to doctor who silent hill 4 the main protagonist doesn't have a, a twist like that, but it's still an interesting story. Dr. Dances um, could almost be a Silent Hill uh, story because um, uh, Jamie is kind of oh. a walking symbolism for uh, Nancy's psyche and everything she's going through and that kind of guilt and that trauma. So it's, yeah. What Ben's describing is a is, is a character piece metaphorical horror, which is a dime a dozen. It's not exactly a groundbreaking concept. I have to wonder if you're just taking the tone and the imagery of Silent Hill, aren't you cheapening it just a little bit? If it's not specific, Silent Hill is rhetorical. Like but feel free. <laughs> Silent Hill is a very it was already a really malleable concept, and it has been the most done the most justice when they haven't tried to recapture Silent Hill 2. So, um, by... It feels like a high, just a high-concept Doctor Who story. It's about cold entrapments. Just because it's malleable doesn't mean it has no identity as a franchise. It's about a cold sense uh, of entrapment, uh, whether it's characters being stuck you know, in the past, being stuck in, in, in cycles, being stuck in town because they can't leave, or being stuck in this... Uh, one apartment or being stuck uh, in basically a nightmare putting that with the doctor whose uh, power is to leave any story that's you know that's unique so we're not using specific imagery whereas uh, in terms of iconography alien universe is plentiful every single corridor to the design of the ship to the little alien face huggers, every single part of it is totally embedded in pop culture and instantly recognizable. I think we've also done a disservice, just larger world. It's not just one story you're telling with alien. Uh, Prometheus is an actual retelling of alien, but it's about completely different themes. It's a, about as high concept sci-fi as you can get, but compare it with covenants you can look at Alien 3, Resurrection if you wanted to, and that's not even getting into the books. The books alone show there is so much more to this sad little world than just Ripley, a company, and some aliens. It is a demented fictional universe in need of saving. I've kind of brought up reasons why um, Silent Hill, when paired with Doctor Who, might avoid its worst instincts because they've got uh, this kind of specific protagonist i don't necessarily think there's going to be a guarantee with that if you're going to do a crossover with doctor who um i think we are just going to get you know alien uh the the aliens the a company of marines uh maybe ripley or a ripley-esque character i because i i think there's a danger with both of ours that you know you might just borrow iconography and have it be a toy smash session but i i think i've at least given a reason why uh silent hill might have the good sense to avoid it when given this protagonist i i don't quite see that with alien I, I, that's interesting because i think i've described a doctor who story and i've I, come at it from that <laughs> angle first but, but so I actually do it doesn't that. matter I think you've described a Doctor Who story, but it's also a Doctor Who story that I think 
with the alien it is an expansive and interesting world but i do think that when you include let's say the xenomorphs there's only so many ways that a non-violent or supposed non-violent protagonist like the doctor would be able to defeat them like we i think we just end with that's 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 why we have the androids will yeah, but, but however, you want to make sure that you've got an a, a an alien crossover with the alien in it, don't you? Otherwise, that you're kind of losing the the baseline appeal, or at least what the most recognisable aspect of it. Yeah, we don't talk to Jaws either, but he's quite imposing, and it's quite a loaded film, nonetheless. I'd say. Yeah, but- However, what, how, you just basically end an alien Doctor Who crossover by recreating the ending of the Saranga conundrum. You can't shoot it because <laughs> the Doctor's not going to be shooting it. You're going to have to launch it off into space. Oh, I knew the Bating rang a bell. No, I, I think <laughs> it's one of Wayland Yutani's creations. <laughs> you're ripping from Alien One, and I, I do think I've got a vision here. At the very least, it's been quite specific, Ben. So I do think. <laughs> also, may I just add into the. Aliens got some video games. Some of them are quite good. Do you have a review? For, do you have any reviews for them, Will? Any bad reviews for Alien Isolation? <laughs> I'm afraid. Alien, I'm afraid. Any, anything you want to plagiarize right now? Oh, mine's a video game too. Yeah, you know. No, don't don't make me bring up Aliens versus Colonial Marines. None of us want that. One of us will be red faced <laughs> and angry. The other one will be me. Okay. Well, my final defense is uh, Ten Little Aliens, the book. Just. I guess you should have read it for homework, I guess. <laughs> and, my major, and my major attack, my final attack, is uh, there's actually a BBC stipulation which states that good Doctor Who video games cannot be made. And so that's like this unfortunate <laughs> obstacle we're going to have to work around there, Ben. Are we really trusting the BBC? I think we're going to have to go through them, bud. I think the proper channels oh, okay. are going to have to know. Okay. Island <laughs> Hill coming. Not quite Fortnite. I, I, I can see I Will's about to try and say a final point. So, Will, you can say, say yeah, yours and then. My, yeah. yeah. My wrap up is that I, I do love the Alien franchise and love the Silent Hill franchise. But I do, like I said, I think that there are some mature aspects and themes that are incompatible with Doctor Who. Torchwood, I think, would be a really great alien story torchwood and alien would be really cool i think back to like the visceral scares and the frights i had in prometheus and that was when uh numi rapace's character was having that c-section by machine like that like that's not something you're gonna get on bbc one at seven o'clock alongside strictly come dancing um maybe in, once again the alternative universe where rob shearman writes the quarks in 2005 instead of dalek but we don't live in that better reality so so for alien i just don't really know how you do that with doctor who without just recreating aspects of the saranga conundrum arguably better but also for uh silent hill it's just maybe like amy's choice i think it'd be more interesting if he had a companion who was stuck in silent hill and maybe the doctor is trying to guide them out of it or something but then i've that's amy's choice that's what's been done before whereas i think there are some concepts in goosebumps like slappy the puppet that haven't even been touched on or the meta aspects of literal books and storytellings as fear as fuel or something i i think there are possibilities here and like i said it's so malleable um and i think that the audience the crossover in ages and demographics not only makes it logistical but i actually think it's something that we should do what if doctor who was more tacky they both have final points i think it's only fair that you have an un- uninterrupted one as well all right so i think we have been trying to in this discussion find a sweet spot between malleable enough to fit with doctor who while still um being bringing uh 
the franchise's identity, bringing both franchises' identity to it, so it doesn't feel like this couldn't just be an original concept. Um, with Sam's, with Aliens, again, I, I did say that I don't think uh, the Alien franchise is going to resist its worst instincts when it comes to pairing that with Doctor Who. I think um, while it is a much more malleable uh, concept uh, and there are so many ideas worth exploring in that world, I don't think we are the guaranteed to get them if we do get that crossover because there's no incentive not to. Um, and with Wills, with Goosebumps, I think he's actually gone for too malleable. Whereas uh, I've said... Um, there is the specific thing that Silent Hill brings to Doctor Who is the sense of entrapment. It's uh, the sense of being stuck, and it's a unique foil for the Doctor because the Doctor is always trying to escape. That is their power. The TARDIS is almost like a trapdoor. They escape from one story, and they can always go into the next. You Silent Hill is almost the anti-Doctor Who in that regard. So that is that is a fascinating pairing. You don't need to tell some kind of backstory. Uh, you don't need to come up with some kind of twist for the Doctor. You could explore an original character. You could explore a companion. But you could st- there could still be a focus on the Doctor being stuck in a story they can't escape from. It's certainly a very loaded, very dense very adult franchise but i think in video games it's enough of a attachment that you could get away with it we've already had pretty um uh pretty adult uh pretty horrifying stuff sam mentioned 10 little aliens that's under the bbc license that was uh republished recently so we're making allowances for that and also silent hill depends a lot on its symbolism it does not need to say these things up front so it can be kind of innocuous and it can uh, be quite subtle about some things. So, yeah, that's that's been done. Okay, lovely. Really great round. Uh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it's the old chestnut again. It's tough. It is tough. Uh, I'll go to you first, Sam. Hi. Uh... It's already happened. <laughs> What do you want to know? What's that? However, however, in a way, that's that means it's setting a prece- precedent. So, uh, whereas last time you Wallace and Gromit, I threw it out the window. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm more considering uh, it this time. So, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, we've all we've all grown. You know, we let's not have another. We're not have another Dwayne the Rock Johnson uh, midnight situation here, are we? No. So, <laughs> I had one. <laughs> Many people had words. Uh, <laughs> I like Will how you brought goosebumps. I like how you thought about what's what's plausible. Uh, what's because I think you know. I think yeah. I think you're right in terms of you know looking at Silent Hill and Alien. They're both franchises which are for an older audience. Whereas Goosebumps is that same. It's that same you know um, pre Watershed time slot. It's a it's a similar fright, frightful fact that you can get into it, you know, and, but you can also play with that a bit more, which I liked as well. Ben going into this, I'm not going to lie. I shouldn't have favorites, but Silent Hill just for the old sheer audacity of it was up there for me. It, it was so sad because they were both just, they were both hitting at you. They took you down so well with so many points, like, you know, saying like how it would, you know, it's basically, it would just be any other episode of Doctor Who in a way, which is, 
you know. I was like, oh, and then he's taken it well. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then <laughs> straight to the drink. Of, yeah, straight to the drink for for for, for all this. It's sad, time. really. Yeah. Uh, oh, Sam, Sam. It's Theo the Saranga conundrum. It's it's the Saranga conundrum. We're not even on a ship in my pitch, buddy. It's <laughs> even on a ship. I know, but it's like Alien One, babe. Right. How That's Alien One? Babe. I know it. I know it is. <laughs> and I know. And I know she specifically said it, but it. it I, is, I got in with the division comparison, but then Will just went below the belt with Saranga. <laughs> oh, it's, I like Saranga conundrum. I like Saranga conundrum actually. <laughs> Can I call in a swatting on Will? Yep. Um, <laughs> I'm swatting Will. I the call. Take me instead. It's the first time this has happened, but Will, I'm going to have to give it to you. I have a goosebumps. It's uh, no matter what, I think that you're going to throw to the speed round. So. Well, I, I would, I'd like to end this moment with another quote from Zero Punctuation when describing <laughs> Silent Hill 2. <laughs> where he called it, and I quote, a fascinating voyage of pain and despair that leaves you emotionally drained and satisfied like fucking a burning dolphin. <laughs> he loved Alien Isolation. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that's a lovely place to leave this before we uh, cut for a quick break. So we'll be back in a moment. <laughs> what do you think of the Doctor VR game? Trick or treat, Doctor. And we're back. So, uh, Will, uh, how are you feeling right now? Uh, <laughs> unprecedented history right now. So I'm I'm feeling pretty good. I'm actually, I am quite surprised. I thought the last round, uh, especially when Ben was like, oh, I think you've chosen too malleable an idea. I was like, oh dear, have I? <laughs> I was doubting myself. I got in my own brain. It's like I was in Silent Hill. It did help as well that they were pummeling each other for a bit and you were just sat back for quite a I while. Noticed that. I, I was worried. I'm gonna that. try that. <laughs> I was worried. I that. tried that. I tried that, but I can't help interjecting my, my... <laughs> I was just worried that Jack would forget my own pick if I didn't say something. <laughs> well, I, I like how if you Sam actually did forget your pick. So Will's horror podcast is just fantastic. So I'm sure I did yeah. pain him in some degree to have anything bad to say about horror. Especially Alien, man. <laughs> you broke my heart today. Like You've broken my heart. I don't like Prometheus, though, but I wanted to... That was a genuinely scary scene. I wasn't kidding about I that. Probably, I probably should have gone more Alien Covenant, yeah. So, round three. Uh, this time, Sam will be leading the uh, conversation. So, we're thinking about now, uh, what's the best jump scare in all expanded media? That does include the actual show itself and everything at all you know big finish torchwood Sergio adventures class uh all of it is good to go so yeah uh sam over to you so i can really get uh my girlfriend erin into doctor who like it has to be passing a fancy um but one day i had skirtso on in university erin's a massive horror head and she likes the jumpy horror which uh, i'm not so good with Skirtso pulled me into it very reluctantly because the story offers such quality. It's such a brilliant piece of writing. But if you want to endure a Skirtso, you're also going to have to deal with the beautifully organic audio scares. 
it's an audio drama that somehow delivers multiple jump scares and none of them feel cheap they are all completely earned in a story that is as much conceptual horror as it is body horror every single let's say sophisticated horror beat is being pressed but he still gives you the jump scares there is a ethereal scream of the oral creature in this story that i can still remember now and it has been four years since i've listened to skirt so it's one of the best stories i've ever heard and it's because it makes someone like me enjoy jump scares uh ben over to you so for the first two options uh you may have noticed a brutal campaign of self-destruction and self-sabotage i set too many challenges for myself i've gone with something you know very popular something uh from the main show itself i have gone for the specific scene in uh blink uh, um when these scares really start happening. And I think it's a testament to it that when you rewatch Blink, it doesn't actually start getting really scary until the third act. But when um, it's such a perfectly structured scare, it draws your attention well away from uh, that scene. The attention is built up with uh, the Doctor's monologue about the angels uh, that and the the sound design, the little um, uh, when he says loneliest creatures in the universe, it's it's such a nice little touch. And then eventually he, he says, they're coming for you. I can't help you. And he, the tape ends uh, and uh, it's drawn your attention away from the angel so perfectly. It plays completely fair. It, um, Sally earlier on says, don't take your eyes off that angel. And it draws you away from it so perfectly, plays completely fair, uh, shows you all of its cards, but it's still got you. And you realize just before the characters do, the the scare is, is going to happen. And they turn around and I jumped. My sister jumped. My mom jumped. My dad jumped. The people in the... 50s jumped during that and it, it that that scare still holds over them every time they watch it and they re-watch blink with me it's one of the few episodes they will re-watch with me and uh, I, if i can i would like to count the the that whole scene and the angel just getting closer as larry is trying to put all of his willpower into not looking away from this thing it's it's just executed perfectly. Lovely. Well put. Over to you, Will. Great. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm. I was very curious as to what uh, would be selected for this uh, from from my uh, from my competition because the classic who doesn't really have that many jump scares because I just think the the production and structure of TV in the 20th century with a few exceptions, wasn't really equipped to do them uh, at least in a conventional sense, which is why I've also gone for a revived series story. One from once again, like Ben from Stephen Moffat uh, from the empty child and the doctor dances. This is specifically from the doctor dances when the doctor Rose and Jack are in 
the empty child's bedroom. You call it a bedroom, it's more like a prison cell where they're they're locked in there and there's the terrific audio recording on tape of um, Dr. Constantine's interviews and the only thing that the child says is, are you my mummy? It's all that it asks for, it's all it ever says. Then, So we've set the groundwork for the scene that we've got this tape going and it's just so repetitive, the answers. And then we... You might not even notice it on the first go. I think that's the intention that the there's a slight ticker, like ticking noise in the background, like a like a bit bit quieter, a bit slower, and that's because the tape has ended, but you can still hear the child's voice saying, "Are you my mummy?" And the like those who are eagle-eared will know and anticipate it, but for those who aren't in the know yet, it still comes as a surprise. It works on both levels. When the doctor says, "I sent it to its room," this is its room. That's the end of the tape. It ran out about 30 seconds ago. They turn around, bam, child's there. There's some crash zooms as well. Bum, bum, Murray Gold does his best piano, hits, bangs his fist down on it. James Hawes' direction is terrific for it. The child's there in the room and they're cornered. It's such a wonderful jump scare. And not to say that this should sway anybody for its uh, like for choosing this moment, but this was voted the golden moment of 2005 by viewers of the BBC's 2005 TV Moments programme. Oh. So it was a golden uh, moment from the audience. You can say that, but as anyone knows, we do not hold uh, <laughs> golden moments uh, from 2005 to, uh, to the same standard as my judging uh, in this programme. Very specifically only that year or 2006 it's fair game but yeah absolutely years. absolutely yeah <laughs> no, uh, but i i actually just figured out that moment like that little nugget of trivia myself while on the wikipedia page but no but yeah like it's such a terrific jump scare and it's such a good jump scare that Stephen Moffat does it again a few scenes later with the typewriter. You know, you know, Tim sat there right next to you. So who's typing? Like, but you can hear the typewriter in the background. He does it twice. It's so good. Okay, lovely. Um, then you were losing points for abandoning your brand. Uh, you should have obviously gone for the power of the Daleks uh, jump scare. But uh, uh, you would have had a classic fight. Oh, is it me leading again? Okay. I've got two very, very similar combatant examples here. They're both Stephen and Moffat misdirects. They're both good. But this is a completely different medium. It's I didn't talk microfeatures at all. So let me get into that. This is the best soundscape Big Finish has ever made. I hold that. It is a complete white void with Charlie and Nate walking through trying to lead to a mystery. It's an endless void, existentialism. There's nothing around for miles. And there's no sound around for miles. We find out this is because the the child monster in the story controls the sound in an audio drama. Your ones are good, classic horror, Mr. X. My guy controls the medium and it's malevolent. It's nasty, and because it has control over the entire story, you're tense the entire time until it comes. That's one solid fucking scare. Mm. I would say I don't really have um, an argument really against uh, Sam's that much. I just I think he's more broadly describing the strengths of Shirtso as a whole, because honestly, that moment, um, 
it doesn't register in my mind that much. If I think of memorable moments from shirts, so I do think of either the character drama or the bit where uh, Eight gets his neck sliced open. Um, so if I, if I can clarify, if I can clarify, I bring up these features as you know the tension before the scare, and your stories are both scary stories. This one, it's all leading to this creature. Everything in the story exists to, for this scare. The narration leads you in. From the very beginning of the story, Paul McGann is telling a little storybook story. And he's laying this calm little world of nothing for it to be disrupted by this awful, shrill sound. I think it's relevant bringing up everything that comes before then to lay the groundwork. Oh, this, this is a desolate. This is a solemn one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've I've not listened to. So I can't comment. I don't know the first thing about what's other than it starts a the divergent story arc. I, I nah. I I I'm afraid I have no punches to throw. I have no knuckle dusters on my fist. I have okay. no. Well, it's cool. I've got you. My rifle. I've got you, bud. My description was so evocative. Right. Just, just, just I... picture me and Erin under the covers, like, and listening to, oh. like, literally. Uh, uh, eh, oi, oi. <laughs> no, no, no. We're listening to a Doctor Who audio drama. Don't worry. <laughs> we all know it. No, and this is this, and we are holding each other, clutching because we are both just not speaking in case we miss a single beats where we could prepare ourselves for this horrible creature to appear. Mm. Hey, I'll throw your own argument back at you. I don't think of Blink as a big jump scare I don't think of it as even the, the defining bit of that scene. I don't think it's even the best Weeping Angel jump scare. Well, I think the... I take slight issue with the statement that uh, Shirtso is kind of leading up to that. That twist is actually pretty early game and... From memory, it's um, it, it's fine. It's well executed, but I wouldn't say uh, that's where Shirtso peaks. Whereas I think you could say, I think for Blink, uh, this is the moment where you're like, oh, this is, this is happening. You see, Blink played uh, the long game. Um, Blink, uh, this is the first scare that we have, and it's a it's such a gut punch. It is uh, such of a it's like sidemen bursting through a door. It's such a, an arrival because other than they've been in the background, they've been insidious uh, watching figures. Now the malevolent they're pulling that face, that uh, horrible just scowl. It's like um yeah it's startling but even when you look at it it's still pretty that's a scary face uh i imagine a kid drawing that and the empty child doesn't quite have that i mean the the gas mask is like creepy in its own right but i think if we're talking jump scares i think that specific face being paired with a jump scare uh really helps quite a bit I'm a bit concerned about the scare that breaks the ice as your argument, because the first meeting of the creature in Scherzo is when you realize, oh, we're not alone at all. So that first one is the most important, and it's what sets you on edge for the rest of the story. So that one moment, that one moment of, oh, this is what we're doing, this is dreadful, is so important. It's a jump scare that isn't just effective, it has 
massive ramifications for the rest of the story and the way the audience interacts with it. By the way, the best uh, a weeping angel jump scare is in Flesh and Stone down that dark tunnel when the lights are going out. And also, mm. uh, yeah, okay, how about this? I know for a fact that Ben took, took a step back and sort of pushed me, hid behind me at Time Fracture in the weeping angel encounter. I would say that's the best weeping angel scare because I know for a fact oh, that Ben didn't like that reasons. one. I asked you to hold my hand. That does no, not count. You and Rory backed off a bit, and I, it was me left to look at this thing. So I have. Oh, first yeah. Do you know what? Do you know what's scary? Do you know what's scary? An actor coming up. <laughs> Yeah, you're correct. Time fracture is a medium that you just could have brought an actor. to this to this question. You could have brought hey, that, and you didn't. Look, look. The only time an actor coming up to me in the dark is scary is if it was Kevin Spacey, allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Blink didn't scare me as a kid. I, I've just been completely confused as to why everyone was like peeping through their eyes at it. I don't know what to tell you because my whole family we jumped at that scene. That scene. It got us. It got us good. And I understand it. And I think the story, I think out of all the jump scares that we picked, I think these are all solid picks, but I think um, the one that's placed on the most pedestal by its own story, I do think Blink is that one. Empty Child, uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Dancers once. Um, we've already had like pretty effective scares uh, up to that point. And um, there we get something like it so i wouldn't say it's quite as central um to that story and i don't think it's quite why that story um is talked about as much as it did because all of these stories are very well talked about uh stories i'm not going to say which is the most talked about and which is the most iconic or popular because let's face it that's not the only measure of quality but it's got so <laughs> <laughs> but the other two i think they're talked about for different reasons other than the jump scares that they've talked about one final point on blink before we zone in on this blink. one more one more the don't take your eyes off it advice is repeated enough in that story to the point i think my issue with it is that that jump is telegraphed it really is. Like, and that can if you know it's coming it's just not going to get you in the exact same way the doctor dances that's not a breaking the ice scare at all they've they've already had jump scare moments with that sound effect i do remember the sound effect but that was from the empty child not the doctor dances well one thing i will say um in favor of the doctor dances however is that it's while the the jump scare in blink is sort of the kickstart of the third act or like the climax of the story so the Doctor Dancers one does take place five or ten minutes into the second part of a two-parter. You've had the palate cleanser, you've had the uh, the come-down moment at the end of The Empty Child and the credits, and then you go into the Doctor Dancers and that ramps back up again. I think that jump scare, when I set it to its room, this is its room, and then they have to get out of the room and they have to get yeah they have to get out of the empty child's bedroom room 802 and then run around to the hospital to try and escape it and that sets up basically act 2 of the doctor dances it is a pivot point structurally for the beginning of the doctor dances which gets the momentum going again after that palate cleanser at the end of the empty child and the beginning of the doctor dances whereas with blink we it is setting up the climax of the episode but it is also something that we've seen in the episode in that singular sitting 
before, it is not a turning point as much as it is in the Doctor Dances, even if it is quite a similar telegraphed jump scare. And last point as well, in Blink, that jump scare comes after the Doctor has quite methodically explained what the angels are, what to do, here are the rules, here are the limitations and everything, go do your bit, do, do your janitor duty for me, please. Mr. Todd's Where... backing up my, my pitch there as well. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. Uh, oh, it's all, it's all good, sir. Whereas um, for the Doctor Dancers, the empty child is still at this point a unknowable entity. We don't know what created it. We don't know what we can do to fight it. In the same scene, it's the Doctor who says it's afraid, terribly afraid and powerful. It doesn't know it yet, but it will do. It's got the power of a god. I guess sent it to its room. That's still quite vague enough that we don't quite know what this thing is capable of. We see it smash through a wall in the next scene but we don't know how to stop it. We don't know what to do. This is, we're being forced out of room 802 not to do anything specific. We just have to bolt. Whereas in Blink, we have parameters. We've got to get to the TARDIS. Got to put the DVD in. We've got to escape the angels. And I think just, it's it's minute, but I think that helps the scare and it helps propel the story forward into, into the unknown, really. None of this is false. It's also surrounded by a lot of jokes, which, of course, isn't a deal breaker. But all of Moffat's focuses aren't on building this scare. It, it's a great moment. It's set up just like a horror film scare should be. But it's not devoted to it in the same way Skirtso is. Skirtso, what's scarier, really, than a quiet void and then realizing you aren't alone. We're not talking about the stories themselves. We're talking about the jump scare. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's just, it's not scary at all being in a quiet, empty place. And then something screams right in your ear. Oh, yeah, no, that's totally irrelevant, isn't it, Ben? We're talking, I, I feel like you went off track there. And nope. quite... Yeah. Frankly, jump scare the episode. <laughs> is, I, think, I want to take issue with something Will said that the the it, it it tells you maybe too much for it to be as scary as something like the empty child. Here's the thing: I'm gonna go to uh, Alfred Hitchcock and I'm going to plagiarize him. He it's the more to get more tension, the more information sometimes can help the fact that we have a clear defined goal and the fact that this is what you've got to try and do adds to the tension if we had let known less what was going on then um there would be less tension because it would be more ill-defined and we wouldn't know what they're trying to do and the maybe angels are still mysterious we know what happens we know what the empty child is at the end of the empty child. So when you watch that, I go, go oh yeah, this is what's going on. We haven't quite gotten that to the same degree with the weeping angels. We've learned more about them since, and we've gotten stuff in the expanded media, but um, even in, um, uh, even in uh, shirts, we learned more, we learned pretty much what the shirts are, what the sound monster was. And so when you revisit these scares, um, that's uh, a bit of information uh, about what the what we're actually dealing with. I feel like the Weeping Angels are, of all the monsters attached to our scares, it, we know the least about them, I would say. I have to be clear. The fact that I'm bringing up all this, all the build-up beforehand, is because it's an absence of sound. So when it does spike, 
come on, it's, it's of course that's important. That's very, very intentional. Hmm. Order, order. Okay, I'm going to come into this now because I've, I've, I've got a ruling and I, I don't think I need here anymore. Um, ben, I'm going to come to you first of all. I got bullied again. <laughs> you got bullied again, absolutely. But you brought it back by revealing your hitch talk. So uh, <laughs> definitely <laughs> that was very good. I, I mentioned yeah. German expressionism in the first one. That was cool. <laughs> you did. Oh, I'm, 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 not, I'm, not do- I'm, I'm not done. I'm not Ben. I'm not done. I'm not done with you. However, however, yeah, it's not that scary, is it? Like, <laughs> it's not. It's not. If you found me a wusses. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you if you'd have pulled up with uh, the. Uh, uh, Lonely Assassins game and that one jump scare there, I would I would have let you in because in my mind Ooh. that's the one. I'm surprised no one brought that one up because I've, I've not played it yet. I forgot about the Edge of Reality Weeping Angel. Genuinely, heart in my throat playing it. Mm. Mm. If, mm. I, if I could have brought one of my own, I would have brought the uh, Clockwork Droid under the bed in Go on the Ooh. Fireplace. So we Ooh. would have all had Moffat picks. Yeah, you would have. But still, anyway, um, it, it it did help you as well, Sam. That uh, the Will hasn't listened to shit. So, Will, absolutely Hello. beautiful, beautiful again, absolutely fantastic. You know, um, I love how you you know you brought up you know how it's again it's that it's the fear of the unknown again. We don't know exactly what the the empty shell is capable of. But then again, they both came into you again and. You know, Sam brought brought up that, but you know, the exact, pretty much the exact same scare is later on in the uh, is later on the episode, which is great as well. Sam, I love that you said about uh, for Blink that it's telegraphed. It's you know, it's it's explained as well that uh, you know we we pretty much know everything that's you know it needs to be done that ep- in the episode. And again, Ben, yes, it's great you brought back to it, but. Scherzo, the massive thing that really sold it for me is you were talking about how, you know, and, and Ben was trying to take you down for it about how, um, you know, you're talking about the whole episode uh, rather than the moment itself. And yes, absolutely. The, the question was about what's the best jump scare, but you spoke about, well, why that's relevant and how that jump scare then has a massive, and I've got the exact quote down here, massive ramifications for the rest of the story. And even though it's early on, it does. It's a changing point in that. So, and just like genuinely, just the description of, you know, how it scared you and how, you know, comparing it to the others, it, 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 it you won me over for it. So the point is going to go to Sam for sure. So, <laughs> when even the judge is pitching in and, and just going, it's not scary. <laughs> yeah, that's when you know you've lost. I said yeah, fuck Ben, right? I did, I did <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, making great is... points. Alcoholic ass. Says <laughs> <laughs> so, says the man that lost a round and instantly filled his glass. Right, very well done there, Sam. Uh, round four. Uh, in the universe, uh, there are very many locations which are terrifying whether it be the planet scaro obviously dominated by the daleks uh mondas uh you know by the cybermen uh earth itself let's face it pretty fucking bad in terms of the uh, the universe the planet midnight not great uh in certain areas as well but 
my question to all of you tonight is what is the most terrifying location to wake up in the universe uh for this question i'm going to do you first ben well, I, i've got a very simple straightforward answer that i think you'll all at least see where i'm coming from inside of the four five six tank uh in children of earth literally inside that nobody wants to be there nobody wants to be anywhere near that monstrous uh just vomiting up acid creature nobody wants to be near that kid and even if you go outside there's fucking politicians so you're fucked <laughs> nobody wants to go there nobody wants and to then go. you're in london <laughs> what a dump so that's that's it that's that's all i've got that, that, that I, I think that's all you need for a second. No, that's 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 very good. Uh, well, over to you. But my location is. Uh, it was a story that was actually mentioned earlier by Ben, so he must concede that this is the superior choice. Uh, this is the prison ship from the God Complex. In other words, that 1980s hotel, which has been stalked by the Minotaur, which is masquerading as a god on board the ship, which has turned into somewhere with horrible decor, which is probably the scariest part about it. But if you remember from the story from Series 6, each room is intended for one of the victims who was brought on board the ship, and it contains their biggest fear. Uh, one room had a, a big clown in it. One had... Um, uh, one had a PE teacher that was very, very shouty and angry. One had one of the characters' fathers being very disapproving in there. Another one had a weeping angel, etc., etc. So it's not just a big smorgasbord of everything that can and will kill you, maybe. But I think you could actually go into a room that is not specifically tailored to you and still find something scary because you know it will it will get the scariest thing to you, not just you know. I'm sure people are scared of multiple things. The doctor even actually sees something inside of his room. He sees the crack in time as well, which is apparently his greatest fear. Who knew? We get existential in here in this hotel. And if that's not scary enough, you've got a massive eight foot minotaur that uh, roams around. You've got the room with creepy puppets, as mentioned in the Goosebumps example. I'm terrified of ventriloquist dummies, um, et cetera, et cetera. And like I said, the decor, horrifying. Praise him. Praise him. Uh, <laughs> Sam. For my pick, um, I'm picking the Satan pit. Because uh, there's a big uh, red scary, scary guy down there. <laughs> oh, is that it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's Satan. Okay. Satan. Satan. Uh, it's pronounced Satan, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, fight. Um, I, I think while the, the 456 chamber is, of course, very, very scary, I do think that in the spirit of the topic, it's kind of like saying I think the scariest location is on Brook Street in Cardiff when the Dalek shoots the 10th Doctor in the Stolen Earth, but you put yourself right in front of the laser bolt. I think it's very specific. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, you're going into this specific room, this specific chamber inside the room for for the scariest Doctor. Of course it's scary. Um, I think when it comes to a big, scary Doctor Who place, you want maybe an all-encompassing place where either nowhere is safe or you don't know if it's safe, which can often be scarier. Um, 
and I yeah, and I think that um uh the Satan pit is very scary, but you know, you can just make friends with the red guy down there. He <laughs> seems quite intelligent, he speaks to no. the Ood. You have that weird, you know, source and that weird black goo that they have. There's you. no source, I'm in the pit, man. I <laughs> fell. I no fell. source in the pit. <laughs> Maybe there's some sauce down there. I don't know. Now, um, Satan, Satan, he's he's mean. I don't know if you've seen the Satan pit lately. He's mean. He he, he knows about he knows stuff about you. He, 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 he tells everyone. You're a virgin. You're 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 a virgin. You're gonna die in episode thirteen. It's like, come on, fucking spoilers. That shit sucks. That's a awful place to wake up. But he's I also haven't got that far yet. He doesn't. Rose doesn't really die in battle. Yeah, he's a, he's a little messy bitch who loves drama. Lying's worse. <laughs> it's like down there with a fucking liar. And he's Satan. Anyway. Um, the thing is with the God complex is that everything you described sounds sick. I really, really want to explore the hotel and the God complex. Sure, it's, I only have a certain amount of time in the hotel from the God complex, but not only is it a really fun location... I'm going to have fun in other people's rooms. Uh, people go <laughs> to haunted mazes. People do seek these places out. And this is a variety room, a variety haunted house with a perfect theme. And I can just go in and laugh at people's fears. I can go chill with the angry alcoholic dads. Because he's got some beers <laughs> lying around the place. I'm not scared of weeping angels and they can't hurt me anyway. There's a minotaur. I'll get around to him. <laughs> there's lots come, of monsters in Doctor he'll Hill. come and to I, you though you don't get to choose when he's a nimmon he's a fucking nimmon <laughs> anyway you meddlesome hussy <laughs> <laughs> oh boy oh. four five six eh God's no else? satan is he <laughs> nah not quite <laughs> It is bizarre to think that you've just woken up in, in this tank, which is thematically sealed. Did somebody put you in there as a prank? <laughs> <laughs> this is Ben's origin story. He was the child. You are one of the children from World War II who went to sleep and you've woken up attached to the fucking crab. Yeah, I can see how that might not be ideal. But uh, did you know, Ben? That every child attached to the four five six is injected and with a drug. So they're having a drugged up great time. Oh yeah, they looked it. They looked. <laughs> they look drugged they up beyond the eyeballs. Who have you considered going into politics? <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that they don't really know where they are. And that is actually stated not only in the wiki, but in the Torchwood Encyclopedia Guide and in the episode itself. They specifically state, no, it's okay that we're taking your children. We feed them this drug. It's humane. Uh, that's not a it's not. Of course it's not. It's horrifying to look at. Is it horrifying to be in? We don't know. And well, you know what? I would rather be drugged up than face-to-face -face with Satan. But, 
I think though that your both Ben and um, and Davis's locations are reliant on there being the horrible entity in there because the four if you take the if you take the four five six out of the tank oh you got a, a glass box what do you do whereas if you have the beast or the Satan taken away from the Satan pit it's just a it's just Wookie hole caves in it the Cybermen will be there in a few years time whereas like I think the the hotel the of the God complex the Minotaur no take, no take the Minotaur out you still have the creepy decor you still have the legacy of the people who have been there before you and this mystery to unravel and everything that's in the rooms that's exactly it it's a mystery and it's other people's fears i'm interested i have something to do in the god complex if there's no minotaur aren't the fears like pretty much harmless we learned that from the weeping Mm. angels all of these rooms unless it's your specific room are pretty much going to not hurt you were the the you know they're dummies and the way to get out of the God complex is to lose your faith in the thing you have faith in the most. And to be honest, we're in 2022. Well, we're not well past that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you must give yourself over to the Minotaur. I can't find a number of how many rooms there are in the hotel. Uh, you are playing a gamble every time you get bored and wander into a room. Yeah, you could, you could just die of fright. Um, but that's what keeps it fun. It's but it's it's a game of Russian roulette where the odds are in your favor. You have to remember though, it's not just what's in the rooms as well, because the ventriloquist dummies were in the dining room. They were so the threats and the creepy stuff is not just relegated to inside of the rooms. Like the minotaur, even if you get rid of the minotaur, but it's still there skulking the corridors. You've got a fish tank. What if you're scared of fish? That's basically <laughs> what the four five six is in in a that big tank. The- that was the Santarans fear, the one on the frame painting. Yes. It's like he hated that fish. Once again, from like the torch, the Torchwood declassified guide or whatever. <laughs> it's all it in that do. book. <laughs> it does have, to, and of course, um, the Torchwood encyclopedia guide is Ben's greatest fear in this instance. So that would be behind his room. I think that I've written a story, or at least bullet points of the story sue me that was just somebody making do and having to live in the god complex hotel and just like as a survivalist story sure it wasn't ideal it wasn't comfy but i did manage to write in some some bits where they just were able to have fun with the place once they worked out it's in the mechanics because it's all just holograms um so i it's is a well-walked road for me there's fun options in that four five six we don't know what they're being drugged with but right. I, I'm, again, I'm gonna take my chances. Sweet. I would say, I I would say you're the one who suggested that you wake up as the child. I was more thinking you wake up. You're more from the cameraman's perspective. Either you wake mm. up in the thing, unless you have a suit, you're fucked. And even then, unless you're one of the personnel, they might not let you out. This is a government <laughs> that is getting rid of people like that. They might just leave you in there. They... This is instant death. You're describing an instant death scenario. Yeah. I mean, it just occurred to me. You're going to die before you can be scared. You're getting an instant death with Satan as well. No, this, he plays with them a fair bit. Ever seen anyone who looked more like he did not want to be in that room than that guy who went into the 456 tank? Because in the other ones... You know, the doctor was at least having fun. The companions sometimes had fun. Some of the one of the guest characters might have said a joke. Nobody's having fun in mine. There is no fun. Only 
in this scenario, you're only ever going into the four, five, six tank if you are a red shirt or if you are a kid getting drugged up on sweets. Uh, whereas for the hotel and the god complex, it does not discriminate. You've got people of like faith is such a vague concept. It's almost like a loophole. One person believed in luck. So he was a gambler. He got to, he got taken into the hotel. You've got um, one character who was a Muslim who got brought in there. Amy had faith in the doctor. It's so it, it's so vague as to be like, yeah, we'll snap you up and take you. And whereas you're only going into the four five six tank if you're like a poor kid from a disadvantaged background, as the politicians in the cabinet room say. You know, let's let's get the bottom ten percent of performing students. I do have to interject there. Um, I did, wasn't it the question what's the worst place to wake up in surely we're not just that's, like that, surely that, we don't have that, to get in there that is exactly what I was about to say That is that the question was what's the worst place to wake up okay then I concede that point then I apologise for that digression he's off he's walked off he's forfeited do we get a 10 count I have to ask well, I was going to say both of you, but Will has excused himself from the round. I thought oh, I had from, excused myself from the round. <laughs> I thought I had excused myself from the round at the start, so that's fine. We're back in, apparently. Where does your ones lead? You're going to die fairly quickly. You can even get out of them. There's a, there's a very easy way to get out of the god complex. And especially when you're pitching it without the Minotaur, as this weird stipulation... Because we all have an evil, uh, nasty baddie man. We've all got a nasty baddie man. Mine just happens to be Satan incarnate. Which not only raises the question of, he can't kill me. I am in here with the embodiment of evil who knows everything about me. And I'm going to be here until I die. Very slowly. Slower than yours or without assisted medication like Ben's. There's also the just the existentialist <laughs> argument where I'm looking at Satan fuck yeah which one looked like they were the most scared i think is the most important thing that cameraman in in children Earth or any of the characters in the other one they're all scared i would argue he was the most scared in the satan pit however let's not forget how that story ends that two-parter ends ends with ten and rose oh oh we're the stuff of legend oh let's just go away and have fun in fear her next week whereas the god <laughs> complex it shakes the doctor and the relationship he has with his companions so much that he actually departs from them he's, he sends them home gets rory a car and leaves it actually changes them fundamentally as people um not saying that maybe putting rory in the in the four five six box wouldn't do the same thing but we work with what we're given in terms of the material examples of the oh. stories I, th I think One in a narrative thing. with this subtext, that's going to happen. Uh, but we don't. We are ourselves. We are hypothetically the the no no name in this waking up. If I don't think I'm going to be able to defeat Satan. I, I really don't think I, he's going to put his body somewhere else. Mr. Tardis can defeat Satan. Every Give me five <laughs> minutes alone with no, him. I've just thought no. something. If you got if you got out of the four five six um, thing, you're still gonna be stuck in that building because they're not gonna let you leave you've seen probably seen her too much so that means you're gonna die when the building gets poisoned anyway there is no escape from this thing yeah it's still a mercy killing it's still a pretty quick death. no no you're I, I don't want to yanto takes 
12 seconds to die. Takes one for the team. <laughs> it's the only one that guarantees death out of he all of us. You could get out of Satan pits. I mean, I guess, I, I guess going on to fear her is the worst fate out of all these three, but... Yeah. <laughs> hypothetical situation. We don't need to be in the hotel whilst the events of God Complex are happening. I assumed we weren't. I'm definitely not going to go to the Satan pit. I haven't fallen down in the Satan pit when the doctor's there. This is a very short amount of time. I'd love to hear your escape strategy for getting away from Satan in the middle of the black hole. You, Ben. You, or parody Ben. I'd love to hear how you would do that. It's a slow death for you. Being taunted I mean, by the evilest hunter out. So I think with both of ours, then it's just death either way. Uh, at least in Satan Pit, um, well, you're going to have to be stuck with the crew then, aren't you? Because no, it's just me. I fell down. It's a place. It's a location. You're right? you're literally just stuck in that pit. Okay. I mean, you're dead. I you, I starve to death place. slowly, and that's if he doesn't possess me. Um, Satan has many powers even when he's chained up that can influence the environments around him uh, so I think he's going to be able to have to draw this whole situation out I'll be honest entertainment also, doesn't come far. if we're thinking about uh, our friends and family if we're stuck in our respective locations you'll probably think well, at least my family are back home they're safe I'm just thinking of my family that are going to have to live through the rest of Children of Earth <laughs> and in so, London that's more horrifying Fair dues. Okay, I feel I feel like I can uh, I think I can make a decision now because uh, I feel like we're about to start spinning wheels on this now. Uh, it, wow, that uh, that heated up, that did. And I, I'll be honest, Will, you were a front, you were the front runner for a long time, for, <laughs> for a long, long time. And I was like, damn, this is really going to break the fucking uh, game now. But uh, luckily. They both took you down. We're going, well, yeah, but but a lot of this, you're looking at other people's fears. And actually, yeah, that does sound fucking rad, you know, doing that. <laughs> you know, like going through, for, for like, and like, yes, yeah, of course, there's a scary fucking Nymond cousin running around, but like, and that, that's the case. And yes, my fear is in there as well somewhere. But again, it is, it's a Russian roulette, isn't it? And, you know, they don't, they die from fear, but they, they die, you know, they go praising him, don't they? So it's, you know, they don't, but I can't actually bring that up because they need to then brought that themselves. So, so I'm going to go to Ben. Uh, My dreams of conquest. <laughs> yeah, you know, I never thought about it as well. You know, you know how the weeping angels are in that. The image of an angel in itself becomes an angel. So why are there not weeping angels uh, going around, even if they're holograms? Because they're still. I've often thought this. I've also yeah. wondered how you would get my fear into a room, which is fear of not matching up to the person I was yesterday. I don't understand how that would manifest into a room. Uh, but that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I'll, right. I'll take ben, the one with the gorilla in it. Ben, I love your pick, first of all, because, yeah, obviously. They're right, though. It's kind of instant death where you, if you wake up in that room, you know, because even if you survive, you, you, you're fucked, you know, anywhere you look at it. But good pick. Sam, you were the weakest starting off. Because you just said, oh, it's a scary red boy. And I was like, yes, okay. But then you really got into it. Like, you really got in, into your speed and talked about how he's going to he's gonna fuck with you. And uh, he's going to enjoy that. And he's going to have, you know, because he hasn't got an awful lot of ent entertainment down there. And whereas they are both, you know, per, you know pretty quick deaths, uh, he is going to savor that. 
torturing you and he's going you know, he's gonna call you a virgin you know that's man that's, that's my, like that's my room and my room is Satan <laughs> I'm a virgin and yeah. I, got, I got a bit larry on this one yeah but that's because it's, it's the nature of the question yeah exactly and and, and i'll be honest it, it worked it worked for you because you're getting the point uh straight up yeah. Looking at the board now, that does mean, obviously, that we know that Will and Sam are both going to go through the speed round. However, we are still going to play this last round because, Ben, I think it's only fair that you get the opportunity to play some of the board. Cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> However, I will say it now, you are a fake fan. Uh, <laughs> Always knew it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, the first, it's the first casualty of the night, and that's the case, but still... It does not mean that you know you can't win this round and still get some credibility back. Not much, but some. Fans. You and me both, brother. Both fake fans here. It's just Will me as me fans. as well. Yeah, Will is the only one who isn't currently a fake fan. So, <laughs> but I've not listened to Scherzo, so it only no. goes so far. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but we've all we've all lost in battles of fandom esque things. So, <laughs> right, okay. Uh, last of the initial rounds, round five. Uh, now this one, as always, as is customary, uh, question five is always brought to us by Davis. And uh, even though he gave us another one before as well, he's given us an absolute belter with this last one here. I say that now, him being in the room, obviously. Question five, pitch a horror house. Uh, come up with a theme and plot and budget. Basically, Universal Studios holds a hor- Halloween horror night every year where big horror IPs are given massive budget and walk through mazes. But it's, uh, is it Michael Aledio? He's a devout Whovian, and he wants, he wants who in one of his parks. Uh, he's wanted it for decades. Pitch a theme and horror, a theme and horror house on a universal budget. And uh, we gave you a couple of examples in the videos there. Um, Will, I'm going to come to you first. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. This is going to sound like a random tangent, but it is going somewhere, I promise. I've recently recently been playing the Batman Arkham games, and there's a really great um, set piece in the first one, Arkham Asylum, where the Scarecrow starts manipulating the world around you with his fear toxin. And there's, I just love how it's able to have you walk into a room, you then open the door, and it turns out you're back in exactly the same room. What was a corridor is now an alleyway because you've just walked through a door and it's manipulating the environment around you. And when I thought about that, and I'd love to see that maybe applied to uh, a big horror house, a haunted house, but with a Doctor Who theme, what else has messed with your mind? What has precedent in the Doctor universe? And that is the Matrix. So I'm thinking the plot line, the the framing device could be something similar to maybe Deadly Assassin or Trial of a Time Lord where, you know, there's some weird Time Lord formality going on. You're met with a cast, like a couple of actors who are able to to sort of give you a brief and then you go into the Matrix where there is a, a rational, plausible reason for you open a door on Gallifrey and oh you're in the Dalek Asylum um on or something or you open the door you're in the God Complex you open the door you're in the 456 tank uh with that poor soldier etc um it, it gives you a reason to not only be malleable and to present different scares in different places and locations but it also allows you to um do a best of of the franchise of Doctor Who and I think having it in the matrix means that you can actually make it a bit more abstract and a bit weirder as well, where this isn't your mum's Dalek asylum. Um, This, this is um, 
uh, this is actually in a better story. It's something like that, where you are able to take what you are familiar with from a TV show, but give it a little matrixy twist. I remember the incredible imagery that is so random, but that's why it works in The Deadly Assassin when the fourth doctor is in a quarry, and then all of a sudden there's a World War One soldier in a gas mask with a horse just parading through. So, what is this? Um, yeah, so that sort of um, weirdness, the variety of locales, you are in the matrix and you have to either accomplish a goal or just get out very nice i love i love how you threw in a very subtle uh asylum dig as well <laughs> yeah you got you gotta sit to your brand well i i, I appreciate that uh, <laughs> uh sam uh obviously you've taken on questions uh t- sorry taking on answers from a participant tonight um this one is going to be all you baby so yeah, uh right i've hadn't <laughs> i'll give it my go best go i'll give it my best go it's not as if i've thought about this for years or anything okay so you're working with a massive budget and a big space it's more than time fracture it's more than the doctor who experience story it's it's a new medium frankly and you should play to the strengths of the medium which is you're in a simulacre you're in this made up fa- fantasy space But what if the fantasy space knew it was a fantasy space? This is adventures in the land of fiction. You start off like uh, coming into a Victorian warehouse and the general pitch is that you're coming in at the end of the adventure. The big, the entrance to the queue is a big TARDIS door column and you walk straight through assuming that the rest of the park is the TARDIS, which I think could be a nice little flourish. You walk in, and see all these flashing domes as i mean that's the first scare right there you are in this pitch black room and all these turns out you're surrounded as i said earlier daleks are incredibly imposing in real life and i don't believe anyone who thinks otherwise and then you see up above you universal have the technology as i think you see in the harry potter forbidden journey ride they can create a screen slash hologram that does look like an actor is in the room with you and let's just say peter davison and david tennant aren't really going to say no to universal money also this way you can have interchangeable doctors this is someone down looking at you going brilliant no we did it we did it and it's a sort of flat effect it looks a little bit like a hologram but but you assume because it's you know it's a theme park effect you're like oh it's the doctor he's here with me so the next few rooms, as you're guided through, takes you through TARDIS corridors as the transitional. And it takes you, it has real fun with the locations. I think we go for really British, British locations and locales because this is an American park. They see Doctor Who as the British thing. So let's really go for like British history. And we're just getting like, as we say, like monster of the week. We're seeing the really well-timed scares and ones that match the environment they're in. So sea devil lurking underneath the water. We could have a silence, just like the noise happens. Turns out they're on the ceiling. And all this is happening. It's like, it feels like it's going by at a very breezy pace. And the doctor is always on hand coming through, whether it's an actor dressed up from the back or a screen itself. And then you get to the end and uh, you're back in the TARDIS and the facade breaks down and the massive mega scare is that this was all a simulation. The 
screen hologram that looks like a hologram actually is a hologram. The doctor has never been with you. You have just queued and walked yourself into a Cyberman factory. And that will be the end of this horror house. <laughs> you can tell I w winged it, but I'm quite happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday, kids. You've just been cyber augmented. Hey Ben, what you got? Yeah, go on, Ben. Over to you. Um I I the obvious pandering might be on display here. I may have mentioned to Sam. Uh I want one set around the festival of Ghana. <laughs> oh, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try argue against your wife, Sam. <laughs> we're going to give this uh the haunted house treatment because it already lent itself to that and i was thinking okay this seems a bit of a joke yeah uh, the, the chase as a theme park but actually i do think it works quite a bit because uh the land of fiction and the matrix um i feel like this would lend itself to being a haunted house where it is just making good things as we go along. I think it would lend to slightly more freedom that you could have with it because it's an episode that does not make sense, but it is just chucking stuff at the wall, but it has firmly its own identity. You get the Daleks, you get Frankenstein, you get Dracula, you've got all kinds of scares. If you want, you could have you know, either um, to act as playing Ian, Barbara, and the Doctor, and Vicky, or you could take, you know, Sam's suggestion, which was uh, just sort of try and make it appear like uh, an actor is there, and you could get, I mean, I don't think David Bradley would say no to Universal money either. And um, you could um, put in some other stuff from The Chase, which is, I think, the Mechanoids, would actually be quite, uh, they've always looked like a really just fun, very kid-orientated villain uh, from the design. So um, you could have a room where maybe uh, they show up as well, and you can really just kind of mess around with it quite a bit. Uh, and um, it's it's got a feeling of uniqueness. It's got a uh, old timey sort of 1960s uh, feel it can uh feel like a, a bit of a time capsule for that era and um uh oh, that was a uh, was another now that's i think that's pretty much that's pretty much it lovely uh it, it you know obviously i'll be impartial but i'll say it now the chase supremacy uh fight <laughs> <laughs> for context, me and Ben did do, uh, we did a video talking, we watched The Chase today, we watched that exact episode. <laughs> we did not know we would be going against one another in this. Oh boy. Um, I, I guess I'll have to start with my, I've got an unfair advantage, I do have a bit of knowledge about uh, Halloween Horror Nights as an event. It's, not everyone going there is going to know the IP. Um, the director is a big fan, but the is the everyday person going to care about ian and barbara is the average person gonna appreciate all these little details they might appreciate dracula and frankenstein 
That's my second. And they'll appreciate Daleks, if nothing else. Yes, yeah, and they'll recognize Daleks as well. So you definitely need Daleks in your horror house. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Will. At least look fun. Yes, I I think that's cool. Um, The problem is, and I'm really sorry to say, Universal Universal own Universal Monsters. So they have done this house many, many times over. Not with Daleks, and not with journey into mystery as a theme although that's a sick name for the house it was journey into terror <gasps> oh my god i am the fake fan <laughs> journey into mystery is marvel oh journey into sam. Mystery is oh. oh sam <laughs> and so I, look at me. I said the biggest insult to terry nation this evening oh don't, sam oh this don't is fucking sad. Look at me. don't look at me i want to talk about will's one because we we're following a pattern again I rest Will's, my gonna case. End up, um, Will's gonna end up sneaking and winning because we're yeah, too busy. For Will, just gonna sit here and let you destroy yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the Matrix. Don't we already have plenty of kind of stuff? How is this any different from, say, Time Fracture, which cost significant, which did not really mm. require a universal budget? Unfortunately, I was unable to engage with Time Fracture. I was unable to make the financial or time commitment. So, uh, if you if you take issue with that, you are quite quite frank. Uh, quite frankly, classist. So that's <laughs> that gatekeeping uh, media, <laughs> exactly. Um, whereas I think, um, like the Mind Robber, that's not even available on Blu-ray. Whereas you're able to watch the Deadly Assassin on Blu-ray. I've got it behind me. The chase was mm. chase is not on Blu-ray until December. It's gonna will... be on the. It's gonna be huge. <laughs> I, I will stand Coming down, back, baby. I don't want Mind Dropper used against me because I very quickly dropped it in my pitch. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not. It's not the. It's not the world of fiction. No, you're, you're actually going ignore that for um, um, Legend of the Cybermen. That's that's your pitch, isn't yes. it? That's great, yes. great go, oh. great go. Sure, oh. let's just say it's that. You sure. wake up in a recording booth oh, in the final room. <laughs> Am I fiction? Journey to Terror is already it, it's it's pretty much got the same kind of stuff as the Mind Robber, and it's got Daleks. I mean, I know Simon Men are generally secondhand Daleks, but this really does feel like uh, the yeah, this is the you're demonstrating that quite a bit here. Oh, we we couldn't get the Daleks. Sorry, we're doing the the Mind Robber. The fans seem to care about that more. I reckon it has more broad appeal. But I think is, is my dad gonna care when I drag him into this house? Oh yeah. Does does if, so? Which hold on, just to clarify, are you basing? Uh, just remind me, which version of the Matrix are we getting? Are we strictly going with the Deadly Assassin version, or or is it kind of all of them? Um, I'm thinking it's more just. Uh, it doesn't have to be exactly ripped from, say, the deadly assassin of the mysterious foe, but just the idea of a a, a place, a setting where anything can happen. I mean, you can borrow some imagery if you want to. I mean, that, that's just kind of a feeling of aboutism with that one. That just sounds incredibly vague, and I think the Matrix just works better. You know, on TV, I think when you go there in person, it's just you just kind of go, "Hey, do you want to go home and watch the Deadly Assassin?" Or 
mysterious uh, planet. Are you? Do you want people to go to think to themselves, you know what, I'd rather be watching Trial of a Time Lord. But we have to remember, though, <laughs> is that the Festival of Ghana has already been tested out. If you actually remember in the chase, you'll see that it, that it has a big sign on the front of it that says cancelled by peaking. You had your shot. You missed. It's a bad. It's a bad attraction that was cancelled in universe. The animatronics walk around in 1996. The animatronics are sentient and walk around and are invincible and are very strong and violent. You could integrate that as part of the story. Davis, this is that as part of the. At the ben, story going, oh, ben, wait, you're not meant to be in here. This ben Davis, this is a round ago. two. You're not doing a Five Nights at Freddy's horror crossover. We want to try and <laughs> pitch a good ho ho house of horror right now. And I That's... think something that would be really fun and malleable is the Matrix. As, as I mentioned with my example for Batman Arkham Asylum, you walk out of one room and, oh, you're actually in the exact same room. You can do that in a haunted house and you can really mess with people's heads in a way that is you don't need to know a a black and white story from the 60s in order to get i have one question for will and that was um if we're doing the matrix it is vague theming but you can get everything everything in there that you want address it's a simulacra yeah sure i need you to be more specific on the plots because otherwise people may not even realize the matrix <laughs> is the theme you know what i mean if there's no if it is just how are you going to establish the location and a story in just yeah. a couple rooms so yeah, you'd, um, in this hypothetical example, there could be say, even if like this this isn't a legally binding suggestion, but for <laughs> example, the first room could be like the uh, the courtroom from Trial of a Time Lord, just a big space where there's a few actors in there in a controlled environment where they can set out the story and set out the situation and the scenario. You only need one big room to do that. It could even be a hub. I don't know. And then they can go on and experience the crazy stuff. Okay. I think as long as you've got that, that, uh, that first room, like the courtroom, then you can go from there. They usually have very small spaces to do pre-shows. I'm not sure you could fit in a, quite a courtroom, but, yeah, I, it's a good pitch. It's, it's, it sounds nice. Yeah, <laughs> I can fucking do it. You need somebody in there to shout. There's nothing you can do to prevent the catharsis of spurious morality. <laughs> and then every, everyone's sold. scrap yard. <laughs> and also, and because I also think um, with the Matrix, you can do some other Time Lord stuff. Like you don't have to say, "Oh, now we're in the Death Zone," but you can borrow some ideas from the Death Zone, like when Jamie and Zoe appeared in their hallucinations. That's how you could even get some um, actors who are dressed up like them, but they're not quite them. Maybe not. Oh, this is actually Jamie. Oh, step back. You don't don't get too close because you'll see that I'm not really Fraser Hines. Something like that. <laughs> this mm. is fun. But I'm still thinking we're going to niche for the common park goer. Yeah. Uh, Whereas mine is just his, the, the opening pitch is Doctor Who has just been in the Daleks, and now we're going to go look around British history because we travel in time in the blue box. These are all things uh, the average park goer is going to know, uh, but that doesn't mean it has to be generic. There's still very specific references and set pieces in there. I think I'd like to hear a counter-argument to this. I think I'm using the medium of the, of the house the most by getting a little meta with it addressing that it is all fake but because you're in a theme park ride you're like i know this is fake but i i think this is trying to be real there's some the the final twist that it, it was actually all fake i think is really nice and also just a house being a conversion factory is a nice visual 
I would say mine is the most pure to the concept. It is literally a haunted house with Daleks in. It is Doctor Who and haunted houses being mashed together. And um, I genuinely think this actually require this actually relies on knowledge of the original story the least because I think it's just the most self-explanatory. This is coming from very early on where there wasn't actually a massive amount of lore. Uh, there, there wasn't uh, a lot to know. We, we didn't have the land of fiction. We didn't we have the Time Lords or anything. It is literally just a haunted house and uh, there are Daleks. And I, I think there's a purity in that, if nothing else. With, without prior knowledge of the chase, though, might it just seem that, oh, you've put two houses into one? Okay, sure. We've mixed the the Halloween horror Universal Monsters, uh, I think uh, Legends Collide, they're calling it this year. Oh, and we've got Daleks in there now? Cool, I like Daleks. Why have they done two houses and one? But it is this reference to a 1965 serial. Um, I just, it's not the be-all and end-all, because I know the phrasing, but even so. But is it is a part where I go, go, oh, I'm with Barbara, right. The, the school teacher from, from, from Shoreditch. Yeah, I also think what makes uh, my setting so good with the Matrix is that you can have the Festival of Ghana be one of the rooms. Like, there we go. Bam, I've swallowed up your example. I'm not sh- There's a big budget, but the big thing is with space. I'm not quite sure we've got all the space to play with. Big on the no, inside. Big on the inside. Of our- Mine, okay, shit. mine lends it. Mine is the most space. Uh, uh, my mine works the best within the space allocated. I would also say. Okay, yours might involve having to go upstairs though. And that. Well, we all know the biggest threat to Dalek: yeah. water. Just don't <laughs> chuck them into the ocean. We learned that from the show, <laughs> as Ian says in journey, episode five: journey into mystery. It's episode four. Episode six, Journey into Bewilderments. Ian says, this is a great place to fight Daleks. There's stairs. How are your actors getting around, man? They, well, the, oh, fuck it. I give up. <laughs> no, I don't. Just to win, okay? I just made this to blatantly pander you. I thought the four, five, six one would at least get me one point. But no. No, it's thrown down. Oh, White flag. Oh it's no! Oh. If I was a judge, you'd have it though, and that's what. Ah, uh, sad to see Ben. This is sad because, because actually, Ben, uh, I'll jump in now. You were, you were, pull- you were doing very well. I felt. Mm. What? Uh, I was, I was struggling against your argument. I, I, I was, I yeah. Keep, I had to keep you going against. That. It's niche. That's all I had. It's kind of niche. Yeah. How the actor's yeah. going to get around? But, you all picked. Uh, you all picked vague enough picks that meant you could go to lots of different locations, which is perfect for a you know for a haunted house because you can just do it. Like, I love Will how you're liking it to the Arkham games. I know Ben, you're saying there's a precedent for me saying about Batman, but no, because the specific the specifics of what Will was referencing were actually perfect for the situation. Whereas the Batman, but Doctor Who wasn't, you know, per se. Um, all the same, they did take you down by going like, "Oh yeah, but the the matrix is is very vast and so vague and so you know like how you know and you, you know you said a very good thing about you know you could have the big room at the start, which is like the the courtroom from Trial of the Time Lord, but That's then cool. 
that was that was really good. I mean, it was really good that you thought me think about that. But then it's also is the general public going to see that? Going to know what the Matrix is? Even if you even if you do an info dump, are they going to be like? Are they really going to take it on? Um, Sam, I have to I have to ask yours. Is it land? So you see, you see you're saying you're presenting it as land of fiction. No, no, no. We dropped the element. We, okay. we, no, no, we dropped the element. Yeah. That was me improvising on the spot. So yeah. I probably no, no it, yeah, that, and that's that's what confused me. So it was, you were saying it's, it's a land, land of fiction, fiction isn't and there, then it's like. and then it's and then it's revealed because that's what I thought. I thought, oh, you're presenting it as a land of fiction, but no, it's cyber conversion. Actually, we've come uh, into the end of a Dalek adventure in a Victorian warehouse, uh, some sort of okay. very quintessential British location. Yeah. Okay. See, that's the thing. I got confused with that because you know, and, and you know, that's that's not that's no fault of your own because obviously you picked this up and had to run with uh, just a pitch. You know, I but... also did have an unfair advantage by being a horror house fan and making yeah. the question, and, and also yeah, making the question. Yeah, but so <laughs> so Ben actually by basing it on an episode and talking about well, actually basing it on an episode or an episode a story where there are lots of different locations and lots of different things and actually you in my mind utilizing the monsters and you know sounds going like oh no it's niche oh no the people are just gonna say these are two things put together but then you also said this year it's called what's it also called like legends uh legends collide like, yeah so again there's a precedent for it for me again i'm not taking your flag waving and I'm not just giving it to you for charity. I'm absolutely not. Believe me. Ben, I'm giving you the point. Woo! I need to try less. I think when I, <laughs> I give up, I do <laughs> Well, I tell you what, uh, when we bring you back for our season two, it'll be lovely to have you uh, try less to uh, win. So, yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, we will take a very short break, and then we will come back for the speed round between Sam and Will. October 31st. Halloween, trick or treat, and we are back. Uh, so we're ready for the speed round uh, now. Before we get into it, Ben, I have to say it's been great to have you here. It's great that you got a point, but as I said before, you're still a fake fan. However, you do now get the opportunity to weigh in and help me judge these uh, last couple of rounds, which is, you know, which is always nice. I feel like it's a little consolation prize, even though again you are a fake fan. <laughs> You will know my pain. <laughs> you will rue the day that you crossed Benedict John Warburton. <laughs> it's funny because his last name is Brad. <laughs> oh, crumpets. <laughs> All over again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like I've awoken some deep trauma for you there. Ben. Hey, hey, uh, you've, you've, you, unless you come up with a new Brad joke, you don't get the free drink. That's. That's the rule. Okay, that's fair enough. That's I'll wait high school students. A challenge <laughs> for you, I know, Jack, but... <laughs> yeah, it's true, yeah. Uh, I, nothing I do is original in any way. Go on. Okay, so, Will, what I'll do is I'll say the question, and if you know if you have an answer first, you go trick, and you say your answer, and you lock that in, which then means that you will have 20 seconds uh, following that to say your pick. Uh, Sam will have to say his before that, though, as well. So, Sam, you're obviously going to say treat. Okay. Oh, sweet, neat treat. Let's go. Absolutely, yeah. So we are going to go into the speed round now, the final round of this. So. <laughs> yes, the cloisters are ringing for this indeed. Okay, so 
First things first, we're starting off with uh, what I like to call a devil's advocate question. And uh, it's basically where I present two scenarios and you have to dig in for or trick or treat in for whichever one you think is worse. Okay. In this situation now, which fate is worse? Being converted into a Dalek or a Cyberman? Uh, treat. Uh, Dalek. Okay. Yeah, I think I made the right call. Okay. Let's yeah. Go. Okay. Okay. So, so Sam, you'll have to argue for Dalek. Will, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to argue for Cyberman, no matter what. Cool. Okay. Go first. You do. You do, however, get a chance to uh, come up with more time because Sam, your time to argue for Dalek will start now. Okay, so the perks of being a Cyberman is that there is a specifically built little chip that means that you actually don't feel the worst part of being a Cyberman, knowing you're a Cyberman and caring that you're a Cyberman. Being a Dalek is absolute cruelty. They turn you into something tiny and scared and fascist, and they are coming up with new ways to fuck with you every single day of their little horrible Stop. lives. Went a little bit over that, I'll allow it though. Okay, and uh, Will, your time starts now. There's a lot of precedent in the TV series and the expanded universe for that inhibitor chip breaking, so you're going to be way more likely to know that you're a Cyberman than you are a Dalek. Dalek is a lot of genetic mutations, a lot of experimentation to make sure that that does not happen. There's less precedent for Daleks changing. Cybermen, a lot of surgery, a lot of gory stuff. Daleks, a lot more abstract. I think Stop. the body horror for Stop. Cybermen. Okay, very good. And very small fight. Go. I think revelation alone blurs the line between how much really, if there's any difference between the horror of the surgery and the process itself, then it's negligible. And the actual existence that you have to live in afterwards, it's got to be a Dalek. Not only are you going to kill your loved ones, uh, you're going to destroy life itself to make everything as fucked up as you are. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I think when it comes to the Cybermen as well, because they are actually something that is a very realistic line that is being blurred in current reality. There have been, even on some of the DVDs, I think it was of Attack of the Cybermen, they were arguing about this because there was a man with an actual bionic arm. Stuff like uh, genetic engineering is a fl far flung off concept, whereas Kit Peddler and Jerry Davis were talking about this in the 1960s. I think the fact that Cybermen are so close to home rather than the Daleks are more of an abstract concept means that I think it's just more the basic gut instinct of the Cybermen being uh, just the more terrifying conversion because they are way more realistic. More realistic, but that's exactly why it's closer. People choose to become Cybermen in this universe. Nobody has ever chosen to become a Dalek. The very fact that somebody could become a Dalek, uh, become the mutant itself, was a horrifying 80s revelation. And it kind of makes the Cybermen obsolete as an idea. I think we've got a really great recent example of a Cyberman or a person who chose to become a Cyberman, and that was Ashad. Now, we don't know the exact details of his backstory at time of recording this. We are one day removed from the power of the Doctor. But what we can at least gleam is that during the Cyber Wars, he killed his family because he wanted to become part of what he thought was something greater, something grander. And I think that there is that slippery slope of morality and aspiration to become something better. Whereas I think with the Daleks, you kind of know if you are complicit going into it that you may be coming something far worse. Whereas I think it's the skirting of the line. I think it's the fact that you don't quite know. Um, 
Uh, Ashar's yeah. a weird example because he's living his best life. He was he was a Cyberman before he ever got converted. So now he's he's got the best of both worlds. But the comparison would be Dalek Sek and the poor suck he vored into his into his own body. There's no happy world there. That's the best case scenario. Is Dalek Sek? Jesus Christ! Yeah, the the, the Dalek set gets to appreciate good jazz and the radio and everything. There are some maybe <laughs> upsides to this. Whereas you know, Cybermen, you, you've heard them listen to jazz in Silver Nemesis. This is meaningless. You know, I, you can't like not being able to appreciate music. Fate worse than death. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to stop both that. I think I've heard enough. Um, ben, I'm going to go to you first. Where are you? Uh, where are you leaning with this one? Hmm. Uh, both had um, really good points. Uh, Sam did have me for a while when he brought up Revelation of the Daleks, and I do remember that. Sam also brought up how Ashad actually chose this uh, to have this done, whereas no one's chosen to become a Dalek. Uh, so yeah, I am. Uh, I'm going to give that to Sam. The point as well there for the first speed round. Nice. Carrying on with the same uh, format now. Uh, Trick-or-treat is what we're doing again. Um, question two of the speed round. What's the freakiest example of body horror in Doctor Who? Trick. Yeah, that was well. Are we going, sorry, are we going for the expanded universe or just Doctor Who in general? It, uh, expanded is fine. Okay, uh, for, in that case, then, it's the surgery scene in class, uh, the metaphysical engine, or what Quill did. Oh, fuck, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> fuck, he's bringing class up. He's bringing class to the foot. Class to the got announced today for a big finish. Today. <laughs> You're a class act. Um, so, treat. Oh, uh, yeah, this is where I do it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Vengeance and Varus. An old, an old faithful. Ooh. Okay. Uh, Will, your time starts. Wait for it. I, I, don't jump again. Here we go. Your time starts now. So the surgery scene at the end of the metaphysical engine of what Quill did, where a creature literally borrows its way out of Miss Quill's eye. Uh, in order, It's the arm that's giving her pain. We actually see it wriggling in her eyeball as it's taken out through the surgery and it's gruesome. She loses an eye. Nasty scar. It's, it wiggles. Stop. Okay. Uh, Sam, your time starts now. Philip Martin is a creepy little pervert man. This is the closest, <laughs> the Vengeance of Us is the closest we come to video nasties and actual smut films. Not only are we taking a feminine character and torturing her with absolute cruelty, the people doing it are doing it for absolute fun in a way that mirrors our own sick, depraved world. Stop! And I didn't have that in me, man. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> What, what I love about the surgery in the metaphysical engine or what Quill did is that it is built up a bit over the course of the story. We're told you can have this arm removed from your brain. Here's the ingredients for it, but it will cause you immeasurable pain. And even with that buildup, I'm still not quite prepared for the scene when it happens. I've not, I'm not a expanded universe completionist, but I've watched like all of Torchwood as well. I've watched all Torchwood, all of class, most of Doctor Who. I think in terms of just pure gore, nothing tops the metaphysical engine surgery scene i think the fact that a living creature is borrowing out of a character's eye through surgery and they're on the floor 
like they can see it coming out with their spare eyeball. It's nasty, nasty stuff. And I think because it's an older audience for a BBC three audience, so sexy and so right now, it's it it tops uh, pre Watershed Doctor Who. Ooh. It, it's the the question is best example, right? Best example. So nice and subjective. I have a oh, I have an eye phobia. So, but even so, I'm getting this sort of stuff from Torchwood as well. The open brain in fragments. It rings a bell when it's surgery stuff. It's not sci-fi. Surgery is a real world thing, and and uh, the little alien fucker, yes, disgusting. But this is an entire world of fantasy body horror. We've used the fantastical sci-fi elements and perverted them to make the most sick, twisted kind of body horror. Being turned, uh, what always gets me with body horror, as someone who is genuinely affected by it, it gets me horribly, is the viciousness behind it. When you're turned into something comical, uh, and it's done, it's like you're a you're a bird now you're a bird that's funny isn't it it's like the maliciousness behind it is just as bad as the physical nature of what is happening to perry perry brown's body a very over sexualized character in the series so it makes it a very uncomfortable watch and a great fucking scene it's what benjamin varus is remembered for Philip Martin spent his entire career trying to replicate the high of Benjamin Varus and never quite did it. And sad, weird little fact here, if you want something really fucking depraved, uh, Perry Brown is canonical that she uh, wet herself during this process. Why that's a detail in any book, I don't know. You wrote this book. Sick little perverts. I don't remember, so I just look weird for knowing that. <laughs> Wilderness years. Stop oh, it. Wilderness. It's yes. not fun anymore. But, but all of this. All of, all of this trying to ruin what is genuinely one of the ultimate classics of Doctor Who. And it is because people love it at its most depraved and what it's saying through its body horror. I, I think that is with the surgery as well, because it's happening to Miss Quill over the course of this story. Somebody who fights tooth and nail to get what she wants. That she, over the course of the story, goes through two literal afterlights afterlife to get to where she is now and this is the agonizing process of it i think it adds so much subtext to the story as well to say so much about uh, miss quill's character the surgery is taking place in a school assembly hall it's not some sort of sterile environment and it's being done by somebody's actual hands not with tools balons and more for a, sh a shapeshifter turns his finger into a needle over the eye the direction from Wayne Yip is impeccable. This guy did Resolution, Empress of Mars. He knows his visual chops. He's so good. Uh, it's it's astonishingly done. It's not just a gruesome set piece, but it's great for the story and the characters. And Wayne Yip directs the hell out of it, and it's so well performed. It's not just wanton body horror for the sake of body horror and vengeance and varus. The fact that the viewer is also looking at this uninterrupted shot of Perry and her friend being slowly transformed on this desk makes them just as complicit as the characters watching it in the story. Okay. Very nice. Ben, first thoughts. Sam, it was an uphill battle um, <laughs> because um, it's a good thing I actually have watched um, 
Will's uh, class videos recently because otherwise I wouldn't know what he's talking about. But yeah, that, that visual. Same, is, same um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the year of class, everyone. It, it's the violation that, that, that does get to me. That is the whole point. But then again, there's also a, there is a violation with um, class as well, with the creature burrowing out of her. So there's, um, there's still some of that there. Um, at first, I was just thinking... Am I just going off visuals alone rather than the intent behind it? But then Will said that, and um, that that was a tiny bit of sort of dancing around it. When but um, you mentioned uh, some tortured stuff, you brought up the the subjectivity of the question, and I think I had made my mind up. Then I am I'm going to give it to Will. I completely yeah. agree, and it pains me to give a point to something that's from fucking class, but uh, that's all right, you know. It's, it's fine. Well, you get it. Like, if you're going to give it to something from class, you do it from that episode. It is yeah. the best. I really like that one. It is the best yeah, episode. Yeah, I, I like that episode as well. Um, <laughs> and it's so gendered. It's so gendered and sensitive. It's hard to argue against. So that was class. That was good. That was class. You hey. just know. You just know that Jamie out there has somehow sensed this. I would like to apologize to the late Philip Martin. Um you know, I'm not I'm not kink shaming. I don't kink shame. <laughs> <laughs> you anyway, uh question three. <laughs> Last one of the speed round now. Okay, here we go. So go guys. So ready trick or treat in. This is it. This is this is going to decide everything now because you are absolutely neck and neck. This is it. What's the best villain performance that isn't the big three Dalek Cybermen and the Master? I was having this conversation yesterday. Treat. Treat. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, I guess. Okay. Uh, Lloyd as Son of Mine from Family of Blood. Harry Lloyd from uh, Son of Mine. Uh, Son of Mine, Family of Blood. Lovely. I would also accept Jack, Re- Jack Reeves for that answer, but. <laughs> Christopher Gable, who played Shara's Jack in the Caves of Androzani. Absolutely. Oh, I tell you what, then, for the last time tonight, I'm going to have a look, a look at this. Now, uh, Sam, your time starts now. Lloyd is just one of those actors who seems almost wasted on Doctor Who. He's gone on to be in massive franchises since and uh, really, really good indie projects. Uh, he brings a new kind of Doctor Who villain performance that we haven't seen before somehow. He moves like a true, genuine alien Stop. with every single... Damn it. I started a bit late. I started <laughs> oh, a bit late. That's all right. That's all right. Okay. Uh, Will, your time starts now. Gable's performance can only be described as operatic. It is something that, like, it is not just the Phantom of the Opera parallel with the deformity. He's working so well under that restrictive mask, but it's the voice, it's the turns to the camera, it's the screen presence and working with Peter Davison at the top of his game as well. They're Stop. punching each other and it's great. Okay, and for the, <laughs> for the very last time tonight, fight. Look, you're a character who's in a mask and yes i, I know you're going to take the angle of look how much he does even with half his face obscured lloyd has all of his face on display and you wouldn't change a single thing about it he's finding new ways to move the human face in, in scary malicious alien ways he is taunting he is patronizing he is having such fun in this nasty adventure where he's on the 
he's winning the entire episode and you get such a sense of joy through his performance because of it that i don't think was even in the original script i'll be honest yeah i think his performance it works so well when it's like just him when the camera's just on him i will say i think where, where gable excels over uh, jeremy baines in that performance is that he works so well with the other actors as well where he's able to go toe-to-toe with peter davison who is this is it's his best performance as the doctor unambiguously and also just his interactions with nicola bryant f- making her f- visibly uncomfortable when he just talks about the beauty of, of perry and how much he wants to own it and possess it his hands are around her I, jeremy baines is a terrific character and a terrific villain he does not have that level of interactivity with the rest of the cast he, he just doesn't he's he's with the rest of the family who are giving similarly good performances but they work well as a unit i think gables carries it on his own no 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 there's a reason he doesn't need to talk to john smith or have a relationship with martha jones is because he's the one man show he sells that cliffhanger single-handedly with you know, I think it's my favorite cliffhanger of all time. With John Smith having to choose between Martha and Nurse Redfern. And it's the cruelty, it's the delicious way he says it. Your choice it is never left my brain. And this is not the be all and end all. Here's a little test. How much can we quote our favorite actors' performances? Because Lloyd, I think I know every single line from him just because he says it in such an amazingly unique way that I don't think any other actor would have chosen. Soldiers! I I think that because we get... um... Uh, we only get like maybe one or two scenes with Jeremy Baines before he becomes son of mine. We go, we don't get to see uh, a massive change in son of mine, which, you know, that's part of the appeal. He is an immovable force of nature. Whereas we get to see a full blown arc with Sheriff's Jack over the course of the caves of Androzani, where he loses what's most important to him. He loses control of the caves. He loses control of his androids. And in the end, he kind of becomes a almost like redemptive hero by the end, but he still dies in the arms of one of his, androids which shows him no affection in return the script is there and gable's meeting it robert holmes at the top of his game he's just somebody who is excelling on the same level as everybody else in that story and when he takes the mask off at the end and he's got the like the green face and the makeup and there and he's like look at me it is it is operatic almost simplistic like phantom of the opera dialogue but he sells it so well and gives it such pathos and that like the turn to the camera at the end of part one one of the best like villain laughs and i've watched a lot of hartner recently there's a lot of great villain laughs in his era but gable excels on every front i'm not arguing against jack amazing character but mm. son of mine has absolutely planted himself in my like <laughs> we spend enough time with baines to know that he is a a common upper school elitist prick that's all we need because this is the big twitter conversation around human nature uh is it racist no uh, the every the supernatural elements of it are exaggerating the awful britain of this time period of these awful people we were baines is son of mine it's an exaggerated horrific uh perversion <laughs> it's a horrific sick twisted version of who baines was 
And I also think with um, with Sheriff's Jack, though, because he works so well, even though he doesn't have that much actual on-screen interaction, he's a great counterpoint to Morgus, played by John uh, Normington. I, I don't know how much interaction the two actors may have had if they communicated at all, but both of them do their turns to the camera in very subtle and different ways. They're complementing each other as these counterpoint villains. And when they do finally meet at the end, it pays off in spades. I, I love the interactions between them two. And like I said, I just think that he gets so much dialogue especially in part two when he is just monologuing to uh to the fifth doctor and perry and it's captivating the whole way i think that harry lloyd is great in short bursts but in terms of just the amount of screen time the amount of dialogue i think gable does such a great job in a mid-1980s tv bbc budget it, it, it has to be lloyd carried is- through the sheer force of will Lloyd has more range and you're giving him credit for. Um, I also think you're going very... Your arguments are that he can do Phantom of the Opera. Yes, it's a very cliche kind of mold of villain. He's doing it fantastically. Nobody would choose to do Banes like this. Um, oh, sorry, let me just build a bit. Uh, so many key moments of Family of Blood depend on him delivering them. There's the ending, which is he narrates. He has to sell that the Doctor would just turn on a dime and send all these people to these horrific fates. And you believe it because of his brilliant narration. It's, it's just, he finds so many different ways to play the same. I'm a man on a mission looking for eternal life and I'm having fun, but there's a desperation to it as well, which means his physical performance alone, he wouldn't have to have any lines to absolutely terrify me. I I absolutely agree, but I just think that uh, his performance is complemented so well by the other members of the family who are giving similarly off-kilter performances. He is being propped up, he's above the shoulders of the rest of them, but he is still above their shoulders, making sure that he's giving a consistent performance to the rest of them while also making it his own, but it is still being a shared family unit. Whereas I think Sheriff Jack is just a league on, on his own, not just in that story, but in that whole era of the show. I can't quite agree. Everyone in Caves of Androzani lives in this horrid world and they are all this level of comically twisted and awful. He's more dramatic about it, absolutely. Uh, nobody else in the family is giving it the sheer theatrics that Lloyd is. Everyone else talks a bit like this and they're talking with the region accents to mock them. Uh, but son of mine, it's all like, Headmaster, sir, good evening, sir. Can't give me a caning, sir. And it's just such resentment. It's so deep. I believe not only has he hated these people, like anything, I think he's genuinely hated anything smaller than him for such a long time that the actor scares me as well as the character. I'd argue that Rebecca Staten, who plays a mother of mine, is doing a very similar thing as well. And of course, that's testament to her as a performance as well. And of course, to Paul Cornell's writing for it. But I just think that when you have a character who just sells the isolation of living in caves, like he's been, like you, he's been living underground and he has been forced to appreciate the idea of beauty in his own creations that do not love him back in the same way. And that desperation, that, that, um, that in denial that he is about his own predicament position as well and he's just he's like he's like the dragon smaug on his like mountain of gold except it's not gold it's it's a form of immortality that he keeps to himself uh, and uses as leverage for the vietnam parallels around him which he brings everyone down to his level and we hear his narration as well his pleas to save perry's life as well which is what the fifth doctor hears when he's crawling through the caves the actor's doing his part absolutely i think this is all a really 
good script first and foremost and you could say the same about mine sure but then i look at human nature the novelization paul Cornell's had how many years with this character and still lloyd is just an energy he brings so much new to it that it's almost unrecognizable from the original novel okay going well i'll let you see your very last point yeah, i i just think that um it is just a production at the top of its game and the fact that when you've got uh like so there's so much to love about the caves of androzani but the image of that mask and the voice of shara's jack uh and yeah, I think it, the fact that he's able to stand out amongst everything else in that story, uh, it's like if everything else is a 10, he's an 11. I just think the fact that he's such an iconic and memorable classic series villain, when the when it comes like the TV production and how things are prioritized was so different in the 80s to how they are in the mid 2000s, and that he's still memorable and he's still lauded, I think it stands the test of time. Not saying Harry Lloyd won't stand the test of time. But I think that we have the actual like evidence decades in the making for Shara's Jack. Okay. Fucking hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be this... a judge anymore. Getting my ass kicked was easier than this. <laughs> like, see, people think I have an easy job by like, doing this. Me and Robin, they think, oh, we kick back and it's so easy for us, but it's not. It's so fucking difficult. Uh Ben, uh, where's your head at right now? I think you both argued your arguments equally as well. There is, I feel a bit bad about what persuaded me the most, because it isn't even down to skill. I think it is just down to, I just happen to like that idea suggested more. Like, for example... Uh, so Will talked about uh, Shazcheck is almost like a, a dragon hoard. It's gold, and I do I see that, um, and he brings everything down to his level. There is stuff like that. Um, I never quite considered, though, that uh, Son of Mine is an almost like an alien's parody of the worst aspects of the time he is in. I really like that as a read. I'm not sure it quite applies to necessarily the performances as great as they are, um but i i can see it in his in his case so i might give it to sam okay obviously it, it, it's my decision it's my call at the end of the day and i completely agree with what you said there i do think as well obviously that will should be given massive props as well for um I think in particular for you know your your very last point there talking about how you know you're talking about something from the from the mid eighties and that performance has already sent is already you know already tested time it's already you know it's that you know we can't necessarily say that Harry Lloyd's performance as son of mine has hmm. but then at the same time exactly as Ben was saying there that's that read of it completely convinced me like talking about how it's it's like you know son of mine is almost a parody of baines's character even it's uh you know and he's talking to these people with that resentment so <laughs> i'm very sorry will but it, it, i can't believe this has happened but i'm mm-hmm. gonna give it to sam which means sam you are now top Doki who fan of <laughs> Uh, well of of this horror special meaning Woo! you have 
you're keeping that title for for a year, basically. Fake fan no more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, very surprised I won that last one. I didn't have any counter argument to, to, to that last Shara's Jack point. Jesus well, Christ. It was it was very close. Well it to, to be close. to be fair, I think by the end you could sort of maybe even tell I was like okay, I've kind of run, I don't want to keep repeating myself or relying <laughs> I, on the, I, on the I do itself, repeat myself. But... So I got very lucky that it went the, in the order it did. It is mm. also late. <laughs> it is very late. Yeah. This so, uh, yet again, this is good. This this episode has gone into another day. We are we're not one day away from Power <laughs> of the Doctor anymore. We're we're in the same day as Power of the Doctor. <laughs> so Will, i I do have to say now, I'm very sorry, but you are also a fake fan. Uh now i've not even uh, watched class <laughs> he just surfed the internet in his spare time looking for torture porn but he found it <laughs> no one's watched class though so no one can call him out <laughs> he just slipped in some buffy footage into the edit of his video <laughs> and I, I put it through an ai generator to make it hd yeah <laughs> oh sam uh thank you so much for joining us and for stepping in and for winning uh as is tradition you get to plug your stuff first because you won so go ahead i'm over there on the youtube channel davis d-a-v-i-s uh i think i'm done with broke cannon for the year maybe a little halloween special but i'm actually at the minute coming up with a bunch of uh, audio dramas i'm sticking sticking my feet in Collateral of Ivanhoe was that good. I was like, shit, man, I gotta I gotta give it a go too. Um, the actresses, uh actors and actresses I've been working with are so funny and talented, I literally cannot wait for you to catch Blackest Friday with the 13th Doctor and Yaz and mixed reception with a doctor I yeah, I really shouldn't say. Shouldn't shouldn't tell you which which one because it might get me in legal trouble. If that sounds <laughs> exciting, please come over and on the on the Davis channel, the Davis home brand channel. Fuck awesome. me. <laughs> follow me on um, Twitter. But apart from that, you can also expect to hear more from you uh within the an awful lot of uh running family with Dimensions and Daleks, which will be coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh that's Will. the one I'm really pumped for. Yeah, boy. Uh, as first runner-up, uh, you get to plug your stuff now. Yeah, you can find me and my cats uh, on my YouTube channel, Mr. Tardis, where I stream uh, every Monday or most Mondays, because I don't have time this week, I'm afraid, sorry. Um, but yeah, f- uh, follow me on Mr. Tardis on YouTube. I also recently started a TikTok where some of my shorts will be going, did a breakdown of who uh, Ace and Tegan are. They went on the TikToks, so check those out. Uh, and I'm currently got in development a uh, Heart and All review marathon. Uh, it won't all be out in December, but it will start in December where I make my way from an unearthly child up to the smugglers, because I've already reviewed the 10th planet, and then we'll do an adventure in space and time. So that's going to be kicking off in December. If you want classic series reviews, if you want cheeky heart and all shit, if you want um, to know what the first Doctor and Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney have in common, then you'll have to watch my Keys (laughs) of Baroness review. Oh, I know. Uh, That's fun. Well, that's brilliant. (laughs) I've I've said it to you before, Will. It's literally the highlight of my December is uh, those videos. So I really, I'm looking forward to that, genuinely. 
Oh, and if you're one of the billions of people who have not watched Class, this year I did do a Class retrospective breakdown. It's like a feature-length video, but we go over the entire series, uh, its conception, its eventual fate, uh, and everything in between. I'm really proud of the video, and if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have had an answer for body horror in Doctor Who. Absolutely. It's a really good video. I have to say it's better than Class itself. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Ben, finally to you. I have the Vacuum of Comments YouTube channel. I do episode ever reviews. Oh, I love you, Jack. Um, (laughs) That's the wine talking. There's Worst Episode Ever, which is quite short. uh, Five-minute reviews where um, are intercut with um, parodies of uh, reactionaries. You get to meet my other half, my co-worker, Parody Ben, because um, creativity is not what I do well uh but i also have more in-depth uh video essays i've done one for which is familiar the um, amy's choice the romans um and i've been reviewing the hartnell era in order in that style i've got this project coming up called uh the verities which is sort of best stories uh list for each and every doctor done in the format of oscars parody the first one we're doing is Uh, the 13th Doctor, and the uh, deadline for that is going to be uh, the anniversary this year, 23rd of November. So uh, if you have a a favourite 13th Doctor story that you want to talk about, please uh, try and find me on Twitter. Uh, Thank you. Very well said. Fantastic. Well, before I let you gentlemen go, I... You know, you all know I love to do little something at the end of an episode. We're talking about, you know, this is a Halloween special. I've decided to go for something based very much in horror. I've gone for a very old school movie monster. Any guesses for what it could be about this week? Chucky. Not about Chucky, no. It's an old school movie monster. Frankenstein or Frankenstein Jr.? No, but I did. I gave I gave Will one of those uh, last year about that Frankenstein is technically canon to uh, Doctor Who. <laughs> cool. I don't yeah, think no. Frankenstein Jr. is a is a real thing. Who is uh, it? So it's werewolves. There there are lots and lots of werewolves in Doctor Who, but I wanted to talk to you about uh, a little story called The Red House from the uh, Sith Doctor Last Adventure uh, box set which features the Sip Doctor and Charlie Pollard discovering uh, werewolves, which are basically reverse werewolves, which are wolf-like beings that turn into primitive feral humanoids during the day. <laughs> which is ba- obviously, it's, ba- it's basically Twitter, isn't it? So, <laughs> <laughs> In that story, we have reverse werewolves, because apparently that's something which can happen in Doctor Who now. Dope. Nobody yeah. yeah. Happy Halloween, everyone. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much to Sam, to Ben, and to Will for joining us here. This has been an awful lot of running battles in fandom. Ta-ra for now. God bless us, everyone. An awful lot of running is an unofficial Doctor Who podcast. Intro music and outro music is by Hudson Music. Please, please, please go and check them out.